Hey, this is Bill Oberst Jr. from Criminal Minds, and you're listening to Then Is Now podcast. Rise and shine, my sinners. When Father Evil starts his day, he gets a little deadly. Deadly Grounds Coffee has the richest, smoothest flavor you'll find anywhere. It's sinfully delicious. Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. Warning! Warning! Today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Welcome to 13 Days of Halloween. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Then Is Now Podcast's yearly 13 Days of Hallowtober event. I'm your host, Rigor. Joining me once again is frequent guest co-host, Spency. Spency, how's college treating you, man? Uh, I'm tired already and the semester starts tomorrow. <laughs> yes, That's... folks, we're recording this in September right, right now. Oh, yes. Yeah, I gotta, gotta plan ahead. Yeah. <laughs> That's weird. It just occurs to me. You're starting tomorrow, which is a Friday, and then Monday is um, like Columbus Day or something, or Patriots Labor Day. Day. Labor Day. That's what one of those days. <laughs> it's a day. That's for sure. Don't tell anybody. I don't have any classes tomorrow. Oh, okay. Really? <laughs> no, not on Fridays. Nice. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and also joining us is Michael, who is no longer new to the show, as he's not only part of our Pop Culture Chat sub-series, but was also a guest on our live streaming show, Fright Lounge. What's happening, Michael? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I'm really enjoying uh, getting in on this, because this, these, all of these are conversations that you and I used to have, you know, over the years. And now, you know, even though I live far away from you, we can connect and have the same types of conversations. Oh, yeah, for- yeah other people to listen to if they want to <laughs> oh it's awesome i'm so glad i'm just i have to say i'm so happy to have my best friend and my son on the same show with me so we can shoot the shit about all this stuff it's just it's great fun it's awesome okay so we are continuing our yearly event called 13 days of hallowtober our theme this year is vampire movies we've got a special double feature for you today as we're going to discuss the 1985 classic fright night as well as its 2011 remake now i gotta warn you folks there was a spoiler warning at the top of the show and um we're gonna spoil the shit out of these movies so you best go watch them if you haven't seen them before you listen to this yes so once you're all set, sit back and get ready for lots of vampire goodness. Class is in session. You could have just said vampiric. Oh, I could have. I, I was, I'm tired. Dude. You're tired. I'm tired. <laughs> uh, yeah, what is, the, is that the adjective form of vampire? Vampiric? V- vampire. Yeah, vampiric. Right. Huh. Vampire. <laughs> Vampirous. <laughs> Vampapyrus. 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 
would you do if you accidentally discovered the house next door was occupied by something not human? Something horrifying. Something unspeakably evil. No one believes you. Nightmare. Not your mom. They did kill a girl over there. Not your girlfriend. Charlie, is this some sort of a trick to get me back? Not even the police. Look, I know it's crazy. I know that, but look, Lieutenant! It knows that you know. You'll do anything to protect yourself. But it will do anything to protect its secret. <laughs> This could be the night of your life. Okay, first up is Fright Night from 1985, starring Roddy McDowell, Chris Sarandon, and William Ragsdale. 17-year-old Charlie Brewster is a fan of a horror television program called Fright Night, hosted by former movie vampire hunter Peter Vincent. One evening, Charlie discovers that his new next-door neighbor, Derry Jerry Dandridge is a vampire responsible for the disappearances of several victims. After telling his mother, Charlie asks his girlfriend Amy Peterson and his friend Evil Ed Thompson for help before contacting the authorities. When they don't, he does contact the police and Detective Lennox goes with Charlie to Jerry's house to question him, but his roommate, Billy Cole, tells them that Jerry is away on business. Charlie reveals his suspicions about Jerry's vampirism and Lennox leaves furious. That night, Charlie is shocked to see Jerry inside his house, having been invited in by Charlie's mother. Later, Jerry visits Charlie and offers him a choice. Ignore his vampiric activities or else. There's that word, vampiric. Char <laughs> Charlie refuses brandishing a crucifix at Jerry. Jerry reveals his supernatural visage and holds Charlie by the throat, pushing him out the window as the crucifix did not work because Charlie didn't have faith. Charlie stabs Jerry's hand with a pencil, the wood of which damages the vampire. Jerry destroys Charlie ca Charlie's car in retaliation and threatens Charlie over the telephone. Charlie goes to the local TV station asking horror host Peter Vincent for help, but Peter dismisses Charlie as an obsessed fan. Amy, fearing for Charlie's sanity and safety, hires the destitute Peter to prove that Jerry is not a vampire by having him drink what they claim is quote-unquote holy water, but it's only tap water. Jerry's claim to Peter that drinking actual holy water would be against his religious convictions. Peter discovers Charlie is right about Jerry's true nature after glancing at his pocket mirror and noticing Jerry's lack of a reflection, causing him to accidentally drop it. Peter then flees, but Jerry learns of his discovery after finding a shard of mirrored glass on the floor. Jerry hunts down Ed and turns him into a vampire. Then Ed proceeds to visit Peter and attacks him, only to be warded off when burned by a crucifix on the forehead. Meanwhile, Jerry chases Charlie and Amy into a nightclub. While Charlie tries to call the police, Jerry hypnotizes and abducts Amy, who resembles Jerry's lost love, and bites her. With nowhere left to turn, Charlie attempts to gain Peter's help once more. A frightened Peter initially refuses, but then reluctantly resumes his vampire killer role. Entering Jerry's house, the two are able to repel the vampire using a crucifix, though only Charlie's works, since now he has faith in its spiritual power. 
Billy appears and knocks Charlie over the banister while Peter flees to Charlie's house. There, he is surprised by Ed, who attacks him in the form of a wolf, only to be pierced through the heart with a broken table leg held by Peter. Removing the stake from Ed's body, Peter goes to rescue Charlie and battle Jerry. Charlie is locked in a room with Amy, who is slowly transforming into a vampire. Peter frees him before she awakens and says the process can be reversed if they destroy Jerry before dawn. Billy confronts Charlie and Peter and is revealed to be undead. They destroy Billy, who melts into goo and sand. Peter is able to make the overconfident Jerry move in front of a window using a crucifix, which now works due to his renewed faith in its abilities. As the sun rises, Jerry transforms into a bat and attacks Peter and Charlie before fleeing to his coffin in the basement. Charlie and Peter pursue Jerry. The latter breaks open Jerry's coffin and tries to stake him through the heart while Charlie fights off Amy, who has almost completed her transformation. By breaking the blacked-out windows in the basement, Peter and Charlie expose Jerry to the sunlight, destroying him and returning Amy to her human form. A few nights later, Peter returns to his Fright Night TV series and announces a hiatus from vampires, presenting a film about alien invaders instead. Charlie and Amy watch the program as they embrace in bed. Charlie gets up to turn off the TV and glimpses red eyes in Jerry's now vacant house, but dismisses them. Unbeknownst to both Charlie and Amy, a new neighbor with a familiar laugh has just moved in. So, um, Michael, what's your first impression and when did you first see this? I love this movie. Um, I don't, you know, I, I'm so sorry. Every time you ask me when did I first see it, anything, I'm like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I honestly don't. I, th I honestly think after I met you when I was around 12 years old and you were so into horror that I started watching more and more things with you. And I think that's where most of the catalog of what I have seen comes into play. Um, so I think I watched it with you initially, and I love Chris Sarandon. Um, you know, I've only seen him in a handful of movies, but for some reason, I just really like his voice. I like the way he, you know, handles himself, whatever. And I also really liked the fact that in this movie, they showed off um, how strong he is. One thing I really remember is that uh, Charlie puts nails into the window to nail it shut. So that if the vampire flies up outside the window, he won't. It, it'll be harder for him to open it, whatever. But um, and and uh, uh, the vampire just just puts one finger under the top of it and just like pushes it with his finger, and it just rips all the nails out. It goes up, and I remember thinking that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's a couple of there's a couple of moments in the movie where you know he shows how strong he is or whatever. And I don't know. I just really liked it. I thought uh, in particular like Chris Sarandon himself and the whole thing with Peter Vincent, I think was really well done. Um, yeah. I, I just, I just love, love this movie. It's such a classic. It's, it's the thing about this movie that I love is that it's, they didn't, they didn't hold back with trying to make it scary and creepy and gory when it needed to be. But at the same time, the overall movie has kind of a lighthearted feel to it. Yeah. So it's a great combination that way. It's very entertaining and yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I love it. I love it. Cool. Spency. Uh, I, I've seen this, you know, since I was a kid, this movie has come on, you know, a couple of times for me. Um, and yeah, I agree. I really like it. It's not one of my diehard favorite movies, but it's very, very well done. And 
um, it's a bit, uh, how do I say this? The plot of the movie is rather a low key kind of deal. This isn't uncovering some grand conspiracy. This is just one kid finding out there is one vampire and then things escalating from there. So I thought that it was really, really interesting that throughout the movie, when somebody dies, it matters. It has a lot of stakes. And um, the effects in this movie are extremely well done. As you can clearly tell, they're all practical. So this movie is a really, really fun horror movie. But like you said, uh, Michael, it's not not too scary that somebody couldn't sit through it. Right, right. I love this movie. I mean, it's a classic. I felt uh, watching it again recently, it definitely still holds up. Um, it's very classy, and it, it was obviously uh, clearly influenced by the Hammer horror films of the 50s and 60s. And um, and it has amazing horror credentials with Roddy McDowell, who is just unbelievably awesome in this film. I mean, there's so much to love about this movie. I, I can't say enough good things about it, and we'll get into those details as we dissect it, but it's definitely a classic. So this movie was directed by Tom Holland, and no, not Spider-Man, uh, a different Tom Holland. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Tom Holland's an actor, writer, producer, director, and uh, Michael, you're going to really appreciate this. He was in the Incredible Hulk episode, Another Path, where David first meets uh, Kung Fu master Lee Sung. Oh, sweet. Really? Yeah, he played a character named Frank Silva. I, I don't have a picture of him in my, in my head because I didn't see one of him online, but um, I have to go back and revisit oh. that episode. Another excuse to watch the Hulk. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, he wrote the screenplays for the horror film The Beast Within, which uh, my parents took me to see at the drive-in. It scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Um, what what is? Uh, oh, he also wrote Class of 1984, and um, Psycho 2 was sort of a big one for him because that actually he convinced um, uh, Anthony Perkins to come back and do the sequel, and it was pretty much a hit. Um, so that was that kind of put him on the map in terms of getting good jobs. Um, he also directed the movies Cloak and Dagger and Thinner. Um, as well as Child's Play, he did that. Um, so, yeah, that's a good one. So, yeah, he, I mean, he got to start by directing, you know, low budget Hasbro toy commercials in the seventies, and then he went on to make some pretty good movies. Uh, he also wrote this film, and uh, we'll jump into the cast here a little bit. Uh, Chris Sarandon played, as you mentioned, Michael uh, Jerry Dandridge. He's awesome. Um, he's his ex wife is Susan Sarandon. I always thought he was her brother, but. Uh, they were married in 67 and then got oh, and she kept his name. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh. You may know, you may remember he's the voice of Jack Skellington in the nightmare yep. before Christmas. Um, he was in the 1977 horror film, the Sentinel, which is really good. He was also in the 83 film, the Osterman weekend, which is what um, uh, the Watchmen comic and movie is partially based on, but a guy who invites his friends over and then hunts them down one by one. He played he played Prince Humberdink in The Princess Bride. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. He's great in that. Uh, I don't remember this, but Michael, I know you watched ER. He played a character named Dr. Burke. I don't know if you remember him on that. Really? Yeah. And wow. I think he played the cop. Uh, he was in Child's Play, and I think he played the cop in that movie. And he's been in tons and tons of other stuff and t movies and TV shows. William Ragsdale, of course, played Charlie Brewster. And um, he's done a lot of stuff that I never really watched, but he was on a show called, uh, he was the star of a show called Herman's Head. I don't know if you remember that. It, sort of, there was a couple of shows that came out after Ferris Bueller that tried to, like Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Oh, yeah, yeah. And trying Herman's to, yeah. Head. Uh, trying to recreate the Ferris Bueller, Bueller vibe. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's funny, years ago, I used to kind of confuse him with um, Zach Galligan, who was, who was the lead in Gremlins. 
And, oh uh, yeah. I would always just get those guys confused. But he also was in the the sequel to this Fright Night Two, which is uh, not very good movie. <laughs> There's a woman is a vampire in, in part two, right? Yes, it's Jerry's sister, I believe. And her, oh, and yeah, because she comes to town with a werewolf friend. And the guy that plays the werewolf is, um, oh, I can't think of his name. He was the crazy uncle in Napoleon Dynamite, the one that kept reliving his football, high school football oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's one of those guys that just keeps popping up everywhere. So moving on, we had Amanda Burst played Amy Peterson. Um, Mike, Mike, can you tell me what TV show she was famous for? Oh, crap. <laughs> um, <clears throat> no, I know that she was in something else that was far, fairly popular. So that when I saw her in the movie, I was like, oh, it's her. But I, I can't recall now. What, what she, she played was. the crazy neighbor, Masi Dasi on Married with Children. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> Like really high strung characters. Yeah, okay. yeah. She's done a handful of other stuff which I've never seen, but she's still acting today, so that's good on her, you know. Oh wow. Um, and then of course we get to Roddy McDowell as the late night horror TV host Peter Vincent. You know, what can we say about Roddy McDowell? We could do a whole show on him alone, and we should at some point. He's yeah. got over two hundred and seventy credits on IMDb. I think this is the first movie with him in it that we've actually covered on that is now, so that's kind of cool. Um, I recall seeing him first in, uh, well, yeah, seeing him and mainly hearing him with his distinct voice in Planet of the Apes, where he yeah. played Cornelius, and then in the later sequels, he played Caesar. Um, but he's just been in so many amazing movies. He was in a, a Hammer horror film called It from 1967. You may remember him as um, Akers from the Poseidon Adventure. Uh, he was in one that I saw at the drive-in as well in 73 called The Legend of Hell House. That movie scared the shit out of me. Uh, <laughs> He had a cameo in a, a cheesy uh, sci-fi movie called Laser Blast. Mike, you might remember this one. Remember, because they played it on Channel 56. It was the one where they, like took place in the desert, and this young guy finds this giant laser cannon, and he sticks his hand in it, and then it gets like grafted to his body, and all of a sudden he starts to change slowly, and he's just going around shooting the shit out of the town. I bet if I saw, a, a, I saw, if I saw <laughs> a, a clip or a photo, I'd probably remember it, but yeah, yeah it's... It's it's super cheesy, but I enjoy that movie. Um, he's just been in so many things. I mean, even on TV, he played the bookworm villain on Batman. Oh, yeah. He was in the Twilight Zone episode, Quantum Leap, Night Gallery, you know, like a hundred more. Um, he's also done a, a shit ton of voiceover work. Uh, he was the breadmaster on the Tick animated series, as well <laughs> as voicing the Mad Hatter on Batman the Animated Series. Mm. Yeah. So now it's cool because he's got that distinct voice, you know. It's like when you when you hear yeah. it, you you recognize him no matter even if you're hearing him. The great thing about him is that he he no matter how, no matter what the role is, big or small, silly, if it, you know, supposed to be kind of like campy, like Batman or something else. He he brings like this to use a kind of a highfalutin word, gravitas. Like he has this. Yes. This you can tell he's very seriously embodying the character and, and you get this I don't know it, he's got like an authenticity to him that a lot of people don't a lot of actors don't right right yeah and there's some details that we'll get into when we talk about the, him in the film um, mm -hmm. I, I felt like he was the heart of this picture you know it was like yeah. It, yeah. he's the one that has the most character arc transformation I think right um, yeah, we, he's much more interesting than Charlie, even though Charlie's technically the main character. Right. 
I always thought Charlie was like one of the least interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he needs to be there for the plot to happen, but he's not the most interesting character. Right, right. Spence, being the youngest one of us, what did you think of Roddy McDowell's performance here? Um, I thought his performance was fantastic for what he what he had. Um, I mean, I don't know him in the same way you know him. He doesn't his name doesn't hit me as a lister just because of what I've seen. Um, but yeah, he was really awesome. Uh, and I mean, for the time, horror hosts, it, they made sense, right? That was that was really cool. And his name, Peter Vincent, it immediately stuck out to me, even, you know, in the in the 21st century. I knew immediately Peter Cushing and Vincent Price. I thought that was really fun. Yeah. Um, and his character, like, I, I, every time I was watching Fright Night, uh, the 1985, I was sitting there and relegating it as if it was um, similar to the role-playing game Call of Cthulhu. So I was seeing him fail sanity checks. <laughs> yes. And then, oh, yes. And then, and he fails, and he he just can't do it. He runs, he hides. It's really awesome. And then finally, at a certain point, he when he kills Evil Ed and saves himself. He, I was thinking to myself, monsters gain sanity. And then he starts succeeding on his sanity checks and goes to save Charlie. So I really enjoyed seeing his change yeah. uh, overall through this. Yeah. And um, actually, there's a um, in my notes for the remake. Well, I don't want to talk too much about the remake now, but um, there is a role-playing game moment in that. And I'll bring that up when we get to it. You're going to love it. Um, so we've also got Stephen Jeffries, who played Edward, quote-unquote, Evil Ed Thompson. Um, he was in such horror films as The Chair and 976 Evil, which was directed by Robert England of Freddy Krueger fame. Oh. Um, he was in the sci-fi movie Moon 44 with Michael Paré. And um, you guys may not know this, but he was also a gay porn star in the 1990s. <laughs> yeah, I read that on the Amazon. Really? Uh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> what I want to know, are there ever any uh, porn supporting actors or are they all stars? <laughs> uh, I mean, there are. <laughs> I, I don't think they're involved in the main, um, well, you know, situation, but I'm sure there are. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's, uh, you got to work your way up. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I was, uh, I was, you know, stepbrother number three, you know, in last year, but this year I get to be number one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but reading his IMDb, it looked like he returned to mainstream films in the 2010s, which includes uh, the horror film Sick Girl from 2007 and one called The Day of the Living Dead in 2014, which I'm not sure what that's about, but the description sounded actually decent. Um, and then rounding out the cast, we've got two more. We've got uh, uh, or actually three more. Uh, Jonathan Stark as Billy Cole. He was in House 2, the second story. Um, as well as Mom and Dad Save the World. If you've ever seen that, that's a hilarious movie, um, among a handful of others. And he produced a bunch of TV sitcoms. There was too many to list here, but he's you know doing a lot of work behind the scenes to this day. Uh, then, of course, Dorothy Fielding played the mother, Judy Brewster, and she was, in, she was actually in a deleted scene from Jaws. She was uncredited as the girl in Music Store. Um, so that would be interesting to see. Uh, she's probably just standing in the background. <laughs> um, she was also in the film The Pursuit of D.B. Cooper from 81 and then a bunch of TV shows as well. Then we've got Art J. Evans, who plays Detective Lennox. This guy was in over 120 movies and TV shows, including Die Hard 2, The In-Laws with Peter Falk and uh, Alan Arkin, uh, Adventures in Babysitting. He was in that one. That's a fun movie. <laughs> And the black exploitation flick, uh, Big Time from 1977, which I'm gonna have to see that one. I love black exploitation movies. 
So um, I've got a little bit of background on the movie here, and I'll, I'll try not to be too to pontificate too much about it. I don't want to sound like I'm lecturing, but uh, the film was released August second in '85. It grossed twenty four point nine million at the box office. Um, it's it's constantly got uh, you know positive reviews from critics and is a, a bona fide cult classic. And ha- of course, had the sequel in '88 and the remake in 2011. And the remake, I which I didn't realize, was followed by its own sequel in 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently in 2020, Tom Holland confirmed that he was writing a direct sequel to the original film titled Fright Night Resurrection that would bring back characters from the original film and it would ignore the 88 sequel. Wow. So I would love to see hmm. that. I hope we can get that off the ground. But uh, people say this movie kind of redefined the vampire subgenre, um, like influencing films like The Lost Boys and Near Dark. Mm-hmm. And it's got a, got a bunch of awards. Um, William Ragsdale had actually auditioned for that movie Mask. Do you remember that one with um, Cher and Eric, Eric Stoltz? And Eric Stoltz yeah. had the Elephant Man disease. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric Stoltz actually got obviously got the part, but then he got the um, the lead in Fright Night. And I guess Tom Holland met with a bunch of actors, and one of them was Charlie Sheen. And basically, he said he wouldn't even let Charlie Sheen read because he thought he was just too ridiculously good looking to be believable as the boy next door. Ah, that's funny. <laughs> Oddly enough, that same year the Fright Night came out, Charlie Sheen was in a movie called The Boys Next Door. So, Oh, my God. <laughs> I saw that one, too. That was actually, I remember being real creepy. It's like him and this other guy, and they're just like, they're serial killers. Like, they'll just, like, pretend to be someone's friend, and the friend invites them over to their house, and then they kill him. <laughs> Strange. <laughs> um, Chris, I got to so, say, what? Uh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, like, the fact that, a lot of times when you see a movie with, where the same person wrote it and directed it, it's kind of like, okay, they have, they, they love what they wrote so much that they don't have the perspective enough to, to cut what needs to be cut and to like keep the movie well-rounded or whatever. Like they, it's, it's a lot of times if it's written and directed by the same person, the movie's kind of self-indulgent and gets a little bit goes overboard. And, but this is so well done. Like the, not only is it directed well, but I didn't realize that the same guy wrote it. And and as a script, I was watching it last night thinking, damn, this is really tight. This is really well written. They're including a lot of really interesting, cool stuff. But the story is, is not it doesn't feel disjointed or like they're doing any scenes that don't need to be there or it just flowed really well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's actually part of the reason why um, Chris Sarandon uh, agreed to do to play Jerry Dandridge because originally he's like, no, I can't do a horror movie. I can't do a vampire movie. Um, I can't work with a, a, a newbie director. Um, but then he read the script. He liked the script. And, um, you know, he actually, it was his idea to have Jerry eat fruit. So, you know, the concept was that there's a little fruit bat in his vampire. <laughs> oh my God. That's great. <laughs> um, let's see. Do, do, do. Oh, uh, actually, uh, uh, what's his name? Tom Holland wanted Vincent Price to play uh, the horror oh. host character, but uh, Price was kind of in ill health at that point. I mean, he died in like the early 90s. Right. Uh, whenever. I, also, uh, I was going to say, I also read that Vincent Price was actually annoyed annoyed to be typecast as Vincent Price, essentially. <laughs> um, so it took a while, and then... Um, what I read was once the movie had come out and he was pleasantly surprised to find out that uh, the character was actually based on him and what, and the stuff he's done. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. That's what I've read. He said the movie was wonderful. He actually saw it and he, he loved it. He thought Roddy McDowell did a great job. 
And uh, what's funny is, I guess Roddy McDowell came up with the concept of having Peter Vincent be a dreadful actor, as he called it, uh, a ham-fisted has-been. <laughs> <laughs> he did that purposely to be in contrast with people like Vincent Price and Boris Karloff. And, um, you know, he, he, his, he came up with the backstory of the character saying he basically played one character for eight or ten films, which he probably got paid next to nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and he goes, he has a, I have a quote from him. He goes, unlike stars of horror films who are very good actors and played lots of different roles, this poor son of a bitch just played the same character all the time, which was awful. <laughs> That's rough. <laughs> oh, and here's a fun fact, Spence. You'll like this one. There's a non-player, non-playable character in the vampire video game Castlevania from the N64. Oh. And um, Legacy of Darkness named him Charlie Vincent. That's so cool. And he's supposed to be nice. like this inept vampire hunter. Um, and if a player isn't careful, they can become a vampire after failing to subdue Dracula. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a large uh, plot of Castlevania is you're playing as a vampire hunter who's part of a vampire hunter family who hunts down Dracula. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, one other funny thing I found about this movie was that uh, apparently uh, Stephen Jeffries and Anthony Michael Hall, they had the same agent. And... <laughs> Um, he mistakenly, I'm sorry, the agent mistakenly sent Jeffries to audition for Weird Science in place of, of Hall, but it was there that he met the casting director, Jackie Birch, who remembered him and gave him the script for Fright Night, and he read it while filming a teen comedy called Fraternity Vacation. So he wanted to play Charlie, but uh, he ended up stealing the movie as Evil Ed with his yeah. line, Oh, you're so cool, Brewster. Yeah, his voice and his his cackling laugh and everything was just so perfect. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, Fangoria had a lot of nice things to say about it, um, saying it was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, Fright Night is not a distinguished movie, but it has a lot of fun being undistinguished. Um, huh. But uh, Roger Ebert really liked it, which is kind of interesting because he he hated well he hated slasher films. He he had a crusade against Friday the Thirteenth. I don't know if I agree with that quote about distinguished it's it's distinguished in the way it stands out from other movies it's not like some i mean i guess if distinct if you define distinguished as like some highbrow like script that's really deep and whatever i mean yeah the movie is fun but it's not it's not so fun that it's like campy and winking at itself and yeah uh, I, w I would agree that the movie is great but it's not super super layered which is actually a good thing about it because you don't have to unravel all the things to appreciate it, Yeah, uh, which works for some and doesn't work for others. So I think this movie does a good job of keeping itself to the point of we're fighting vampires. That's it. Right. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So I've got one last interesting behind the scenes fact here, which kind of blew me away when I read it. Um, so. Uh, obviously, part two uh, bombed at the box office, uh, but Roddy McDowell still wanted to play Vita Peter Vincent if they were going to make a third one. So they talked about doing it, but only if he could co-produce it and convince Tom Holland to return for the third movie. But at that point, the rights to the film went to this producer named Jose Menendez. And um, uh, Tom Holland basically said two weeks before a planned meeting where they were going to discuss Fright Night 3... Jose Menendez and his wife were murdered by their two two sons, the Menendez brothers. Holy shit! Yeah, the trial became one of the most sensationalized true crime stories in history. Oh my god! Wow, those bastards ruined part three, which could have been really they, good. 
they took Fright Night 3 from us. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> that was their real crime. There was a comedy sketch. I think it was on SNL. I, I don't know. I happened to catch it. And I think it was, um, oh, uh, Kevin Spacey. And it was supposed to be the Menendez brothers trial. And he, he'll like come in and sit down. Like he's on trial and he's got this sweater on with a college shirt underneath and he's answering questions and they're like, well, can we speak to your brother? He's like, oh, yeah, let me go get him. So he goes out and he comes back with a different sweater on <laughs> <laughs> and he kept doing it back and forth. And they're like, wait a minute. Do you actually have a brother or are you just going out and changing your sweater? <laughs> <laughs> were they bro- Were they actually twins? They look I remember they looked similar. I don't know. If, I don't think they were actually twins, but yeah, they did look a lot alike. Jesus. I never even followed that because it creeped the shit out of me. I was like, all right, two guys killed them, their parents. That's it. All I need to know. I think they killed them while they were sleeping, while they were in bed. Yeah, I think so. They went, yeah. they went in with shotguns and killed them, I think. Oh, it's oh, crazy. There is a timeline out there where Fright Night 3 came out. Yes. Yeah. yeah somewhere in the universe. And yes. jo- Jose Menendez is still alive. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Wow. Oh, my God. So I oh. love. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to throw in this one little tidbit before I could completely forget um, because I didn't have time to rewatch the, the remake um, for today in its entirety. I went on YouTube and I, I selectively like found videos related to it. And I was watching them. And one of the ones that I found the YouTube channel is called Wolfman's got nards. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Which of course is a line That's from awesome. um, what's it called? Monster, uh, Monster Squad. Monster Squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, that's the name of the YouTube channel. <laughs> that's awesome. I think oh, that's, that's so also fun. the name of a documentary about the um, that was made by the kid who played the lead kid in that, Andre Gower, and um, it, it's about the fans of Monster Squad and how the, oh, wow. it's continually gaining fans every year, and you know, it's just it's huge. It's unbelievable. I, I have to check it out because uh, my buddy of mine had Andre Gower on his show. It's another funny movie. Yeah. Funny, uh, fun, fun and funny. Horror. Yeah. We're going to have to do that one at some point. Um, so I, I just like the opening of this movie. You know, we can dive into the nitty gritty of the film now. Um, you know, Charlie and Amy in Charlie's bedroom and on the TV is a fake horror movie with, with Peter Vincent. And he goes to stake the vampire, but he's holding the stake backwards. Did you notice that? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> Oh man, that was awesome! But then the, they cut to a shot right after that of him actually sta- stabbing it into the vampire. Right. It's like, wait a minute, how did he do that if it was facing the wrong way? And this, the ridiculous amount of blood squirted up on his face, I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's yeah. it's so like the Hammer films of the fifties and sixties. Only better, you know, they're better quality. Obviously, he was doing it cheesy on purpose, but um, but I just I just I just love that opening because it just. It just reminds me of the days when we had tube TVs, you know, you had to get up to change the channel and there were only a handful of TV stations. And if you missed something, you missed it. Right. You know, I mean, that's how things like Luke and Laura's wedding had a hundred and I forget over a hundred or 200 million viewers because that there wasn't a lot of competition at that time. <laughs> you know? Right. And there was no reruns and there was no. Yeah, you know, it was it wasn't streaming like you could watch it whenever you were ready. It was just it right. was on at this time, and that's it. If you miss it, you miss it. And that's one reason why I'm glad we're doing this film too, because you know one of the things we try to do in the show is, 
with all these friggin' streaming services and pretty much almost everything is at your fingertips now. I mean, if you go on Tubi or the Midnight Pulp app or even Pluto TV, there's they've got tons and tons of obscure films mixed in with the mo you know the popular films. And but where do young people begin? If say you like you saw a horror movie, you liked it. Oh, I want to watch more. Where do you friggin' start? You know. <laughs> And I think this movie is a great way to start because it's it's like you said, Mike, it's it's a little lighthearted, but it's got just enough horror and uh, nostalgia in it that there's so much you can pull out of it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I was thinking about it um, last night, like uh, I think it was Spencer was saying a, a little while ago about how how simple and basic the, the plot is. And it's like, yeah, he the whole point is like, this guy Jerry, what a name for a vampire, Jerry! <laughs> but Very he moves dangerous. in, yeah, Andrew's right. He moves into this house and he just wants to live there and eat people occasionally, or you know, drink their blood. And the oh, the God. reason the reason that has one does <laughs> the reason the whole movie happens is because Charlie starts messing with him, you know, right. and then when. Jerry first comes into his house. He he says, I'm going to give you a choice, like let it go. Leave me alone or I'm going to, you know, you're going to be in big goddamn trouble. You either just forget that, forget that everything you know about me, just, just let it go. And I'll, I'll leave you alone. Right. But of course he doesn't. And you know, it's like, it's an interesting scene for him to say that, you know, like well, I, all I want is for you to leave me alone. Right. Dude. And, Especially the way he says it, because he goes, I'm going to give you something I never had, a choice, mm. which is cool, because right there is a, a huge fuck ton of exposition in, in yeah. one line. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And then I was like thinking, what exactly does that mean? He was turned without his consent or maybe even more things in his life that were out of his control. Yeah. Yeah. I love him dimension. Just just saying that line gave him a little bit more back, you know backstory and um uh, getting back to your point earlier mike about how he was strong uh, did you guys notice at the beginning when charlie wants to have sex with with amy and then she doesn't want to and then by the time he finally convinces her he happens to notice jerry and, and billy outside they're carrying a coffin and jerry's just using one hand and billy's kind of uh, struggling with two hands. That. I <laughs> yeah that's that. very funny yeah he's just casually walking holding it with one hand what a, what a dick he could hold it with two he could hold the whole thing with two. i know i know right as fuck billy really i think he... i had i thought billy was a regular human when i first saw the movie and every time i watch the movie i forget at the beginning that he's not just a person right right he's some... find out later that he's supernatural i always called yeah. them ghouls but um a friend of mine corrected me the other day said they're called familiars which are the people who sort of take care of the vampire while they're sleeping during the day and you know uh, pr protect yes. them yeah, I've heard I've heard it both ways where ghouls are like the word ghoul has a variety of meanings from what I've heard in different lore. But yeah, that is a term for it is that it's like this symbiotic relationship, like how certain spiders keep frogs as pets uh, and stuff like that. Yeah. But then um, but um, also familiars are also are from what I've heard are like people like this is a concept in a lot of vampire media. They're like dependent on like vampire blood, but they're not turned. Right. So, yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Is that was that what Renfield was in the in the? Um... Yes, I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely was. 
Um, you know what's funny though? When when um, uh, Charlie was using his binoculars, I'm watching it. I'm going, wait a minute, aren't there mirrors inside binoculars? He wouldn't be able to see them. But then I looked it up, and they they only have prisms. They don't have mirrors in them. So mm, I was wrong. Interesting. <laughs> that bit with the mirror in the house where they they yeah, um, Peter Vincent drops the the compact with the mirror in it, picks it up, and he's like, oh okay, thank you, bye bye, and then he walks out and. And at first, um, the vampire doesn't think anything's wrong. And he turns around to walk back into the house and steps on the glass. Yeah. And he, he just stops and looks down. And it's like, oh, right there at that moment. It was like, oh, they were almost out of the woods. Yeah. <laughs> but now he knows he knows that they know. And that's, right. You know. That was so cool. And they um they, they did the mirror trick, too, with the uh, in the disco where Amy's dancing yes. with him. And then you see the giant mirror and you don't see him, just her. Yeah. Cool. That they reminds it, they, not in a cheesy way, you know. They right. they showed it. Yeah, it was well done. That reminded me, Spence. You saw Fearless Vampire Killers with me, right? Mm, why does that sound so familiar? I'm pretty sure we saw. The, I mean, I've seen it many times. I saw it in the theater when uh, they re-released it in at like the Coolidge Corner Theater in Boston. But um, basically, there's a scene in it where there's this ballroom full of vampires, and but there's a giant mirror on the wall, and there's the two vampire hunters go in there. And I think I think they disguise themselves to look like aristocrats because it takes place, you know, in the like 1800s. And the the scene is so awesome because you just see them dancing around. And when you look in the mirror and you don't see the vampires, but then it cuts back and forth. And it just was great trick photography to see the, the vampires really there, but then not in the mirror, you know. They did that same thing in Van Helsing from 2004 as well as when um, the, the main princess girl, Anna, is like dancing with Dracula. And then she looks over in the mirror and there's nobody else in the room. Right. <laughs> wow. That I was wonder some... why that is. Do they not have reflections because they don't have souls or has that ever I, been? I I don't know. I can't I've heard of I've heard a variety of things. Uh, one of my favorite little tidbits of like connective lore is, you know, how silver kills werewolves. In, yeah. in later iterations of Vampires vs. Werewolves, when Underworld and all that stuff and Vampire the Masquerade, uh, the game, got super, super popular, um, I did not know this, but older mirrors, as in like pre-mid-20th like mid century, might be later than that, they were made with a layer of silver. Right. Really? Yes, so that's why there's that's why there's some iterations of Vampires that show up on cameras and not on mirrors and stuff like that. So oh. I, I, there's different there's different ways to interpret it, and that mm -hmm. I've heard is one of the things that does show up. So if you know silver can kill vampires, then it also means that certain mirrors and older mirrors will not show them. Right. Right. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Um, that you, is, I think that's cool. I just want to back up a little bit here. The the whole thing with Charlie sort of peering into his neighbor's house that reminded me of um, Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window with Jimmy Stewart. Yes. Yes. You know. Which, by the way, so, if Spence, I, I know you haven't seen it. I actually have it on DVD if you want to watch it sometime. It's really good. Jimmy Stewart's this dude who breaks his leg. So he's kind of stuck in a wheelchair in his apartment with nothing better to do. So he starts, and it's in the city. It's like in New York or something. And he just starts observing all the people in the other apartments and all the craziness that goes on. And it just, it, it ends, I think it becomes a murder mystery, right, Michael? Yeah. He sees, uh, he sees it's very similar in that he sees something that he thinks is like a dead body or a murder happen or something. And then he uh, tries to get to somebody to help him investigate it and whatnot. Yeah. Um, it's really good, though. It's really good. 
uh, it's very suspenseful. Yeah. There was one thing I spotted in the movie. I know you guys wouldn't notice it, but one of the movies, I think it was the scene right before, uh, what's his name? Charlie's sitting in a chair in his room and he's snoozing and there's a movie playing on the TV and it's right before when he looks out the window and he sees Jerry um, and the girl across the way and the girl takes her top off and Jerry closes the shade, obviously going to kill her. Um, yeah. But the movie playing on the TV is called uh, uh, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things, which I, <laughs> I was watching. I'm like, oh, my God, I recognize that movie. <laughs> That's funny. Children oh, shouldn't play with dead things. <laughs> I, 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 loved, I love that in certain things. Like I like when music artists refer to other music artists that are super famous and when movies reference other movies without having to like – be overt and explain themselves every time it's just like yes. if i ever saw this movie you know children shouldn't play with dead things and then i watched fright night i'd be like wait wait a minute yeah. <laughs> <They're> <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> it's well, like if you pick up on it good if you don't doesn't matter that's yeah. like in the howling there's a tv playing the wolfman at one point yeah i love it you know it's so funny there's so many good things in this movie like even just the the way they depict Jerry flying, they don't ever actually have to show him flying and, and have it be a cheesy effect. It's yeah. all point of view. That I think was I thought was a really, really good idea. And actually, something I noticed was having gone into it, knowing that there's a level of like transformation into fog and stuff like that. Something I really, really enjoyed was if you notice and this is very, very subtle and I don't know if it's intentional. Uh, many times they show Jerry's house before he shows up there's like massive amounts of fog surrounding it and it yeah. looks like it's blowing out of the house. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, so you could very well go back and rewatch it and be like, wait, is that him actually going and doing things? There mm. were a couple of moments like that. Like when he was stalking evil Ed in the alleyway, this big kind of fog thing sort of swooped down and went up yeah. and around, but they didn't actually yeah. show it turn into him. But I got the impression that that was him. I know that that's at a ability an ability that does show up in certain vampire mythologies. Right. Yeah. That and the wolf yeah. thing, because like Ed turns into a wolf and it was like, I was, I remember when I first saw it going, what? I thought he was a vampire, not a werewolf, but I forgot. Yeah, the uh, wolf and the bat and the mist. I mean, they did a lot of different vampire powers in this. Right. And they did it well. Yeah. They, they didn't show it to you unless they absolutely had to and they could pull it off, you know? Mm. Yeah, also, but there's a many times where we know Jerry's flying, we know Jerry's fog or something like that, or we know we know Jerry's most likely a bat, and they don't have to show it, but eventually later on, they actually do show it. So it has this, like, payoff of, like, so that's what it looks like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's one scene, too, that was right out of the book, the, the Dracula novel, where they're in Jerry's house, and Peter Vincent looks out the window, and right above him, crawling down the side, is Jerry. Yeah, I thought uh, that really? was really sick. Yeah. yeah. That happens in the novel. I remember that because Jonathan Harker's looking out the window and he just sees this old man just crawl out like on all fours down down the cobblestone building. And I was reading that. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that from the Dracula novel, but I, I don't I didn't notice it when I was watching the movie last night. Yeah, you'll have was, to look it at it a few again. times. It was really interesting. Uh. I thought that was a very strange tactic. Um, to implement as part of like the script writing, but it was a small detail where he was appearing outside of the house. Like when he's when he summons um, Amy after she's been turned a little bit, uh, he's sitting on the roof. He's not going toe to toe with them. Right. Oh, that's right. That's it's right. Yeah. Weird. It's this weird cat and mouse game that goes yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. I almost wonder I really if he, he was waiting for her to see if maybe she picks off Peter and then he can go in and kill Charlie because it's two against one. You know. 
I, yeah, I think that was a, that was part of it. Something I really enjoyed. And actually, both movies is this very good game of cat and mouse. They eventually, you know, have they, you know, Jerry's obviously stronger, but the moment they get a weapon that can kill him, he's now much more cautious and scared of them right. to engage them head on. Yeah, right. And I love the fact that when he, when Charlie towards the beginning, when Charlie stabs him in the hand with the pencil, they don't ever come out and say, "Well, Wood can defeat a vampire." It's right. just implied because you see the reaction action he gets yeah <laughs> i thought that was ooh, go on no go ahead Smith. i was just gonna say i actually so the way i watch these movies is i actually watched the remake first as a bit of an experiment now i had never seen the remake i had seen fright night before um but i just when re-watching them today uh i rewatched the remake and in both movies there's this excellent detail that i absolutely adore for the storytelling is that whenever a vampire gets seriously injured they immediately have to re they have like are forcefully reverted to what their vampire form kind of looks like with the big yeah. teeth and the, like the rictus grin i actually freaking love that oh, because yeah. when he stabs jerry jerry does this weird spin thing but then he looks over and he's full-faced got his massive teeth hanging out right yeah. right and he looks really scary and twisted and demonic and fucking like he's not just Jerry with teeth and red eyes. He's he he like just looks like this thing that just rose up out of hell. I mean, yeah, it's I, really I, I scary. Like yeah. yeah. Yeah, I like that symbolism for vampires overall where there's like these like weird three forms where he, you look normal and then you look normal, but you have the really big fangs and then there's this like combat form <laughs> right right i think isn't that even covered in vampire the masquerade the role-playing game yeah there's a few powers i'm reasonably familiar with their later systems um but there's a few powers that are like that i kind of wanted to implement something similar but i just I love that concept of when they're damaged they then have to fight and whether or not they yeah. choose to they they're showing a lot more of what they are and yeah. actually, something I noticed I like, I, I really like is as the fight goes on, Jerry gets more and more reckless. He gets more and more brazen, you know, worried yeah. about the fighting. He's cautious, but he, he starts making a lot more interesting maneuvers. Like he starts just lunging at them a lot more often. The final fight in the basement, he lunges at um, Peter Vincent and mm. grabs him. And he doesn't notice that there's a um, blacked out window right behind him. And that's what Pete, um, Charlie throws down to yeah. eventually finally kill him i'm like in my brain i'm like he's smarter than that and i was like oh wait i guess he was like really desperate to like kill them yeah he was in kind of a frenzy at that point i think especially after vincent opened the coffin and stabbed him and nobody had ever done that to him before the coffin was like his safe space yeah and i think that's he started freaking out at that moment like well, okay that's it what the hell and he stopped concentrating and started yeah right because he needed yeah. a crowbar to, to break the whatever was straps metal straps that were on it Right. It was but, locked from the inside out. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, too, the, 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 the wall behind Peter, when he does that moment that you just described, I'm watching it and I thought, it, and I'd forgotten, I thought it was just a, a plank of wood nailed to the wall or something. And mm. then it, it, it was a curtain. And then Charlie just runs up and yanks the curtain down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was oh, great. Man. There's so many good little details. Like, I love the fact that instead of a cape, he's got a trench coat. Yeah, you know, that's, that's very cool. Yeah, and it feels like they they took they were very careful about his wardrobe and everything. In that. Yes, he yeah. even has a coat that's at his waist. It's not a trench coat that he wears a couple of times. That's the exact same style with the exact same undershirt. Right. <laughs> 
and he definitely had an, an austere air about him. You know, he he must have come from like some kind of 18th or 19th century nobility or something. At least that's the impression that I got from the character. You know, definitely. maybe even longer. Didn't he say something about how many thousand years he'd been alive at the end? Oh, I don't recall. Uh, that was at the end of the remake. They mentioned they oh. mentioned oh, okay. age. Oh, right, 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 right. Okay. Which I thought was um, cool. I was going to ask if you guys know anything about deleted scenes that were deleted from the original. Have you yeah. ever heard anything about them? I have. So those are actually scenes that aren't in the movie. Uh, uh. They actually took those out. Uh, for for a variety of reasons. Um, if you're referring to actual scenes in this movie, I have no idea, but that's what they are. <laughs> I know what deleted scenes are, you <laughs> pinhead. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Spencer, for clarifying that. I'm all set now. We're good. <laughs> Game over. No, um, I meant in this particular movie because um, Jerry tells Charlie, I destroyed your car, and... Then later, Charlie tells Vincent he destroyed my car, but we never see that. We do stop seeing the car. <laughs> we you stop seeing that. the car. It you vanishes. You know, and but, it's uh, when that scene happened, I remember thinking that we saw the car at some point and then we never did. And I don't know if mm -hmm. maybe that was cut from the theatrical release. Maybe they, yeah, or but, maybe they just couldn't use the car anymore so they threw a line of dialogue in there or something might be a script writing thing where they just didn't need it so they needed to give a very reasonable explanation as to why charlie doesn't have access to it anymore yeah but right. you would think they would at least show like one shot of it like in a ravine or with a roof crushed in or something to show that in, in oh, he, he he did it i don't know i'm just saying like you know in, in a situation where it would be would not be easy for him to get it get it out and back on the road yeah. um Jer well According to what someone wrote on, oh, it's I thought it was IMDb. It's moviechat.org. Um, they said that it was it was actually there were alternate takes on the TV version. Um, hmm. Let's see, an alternate take of Charlie trying to convince his mother that Jerry's a vampire in one of the TV spots, but then he says he or she says. Um, there's a few extra scenes, such as an extended chase sequence and another featuring Charlie making a phone call to Evil Ed after he discovers his mother invited Jerry over for Bloody Marys. <laughs> Bloody Marys, that's awesome. <laughs> that's funny. Um, so I don't know how true that is. It's somebody posting it on a website. It's, it's not a, an official thing. But I would have liked to see him wrecking the, wrecking the car, though, because it would have been one more opportunity to see how strong he is. Or even just like a car door flies like at above the yeah. window or something. Yeah, yeah something. something like that. Yeah, it's, it was odd for them to mention it twice and then not no visual indication of it. I thought that was weird. Yeah, I mean maybe it was just cut for time purposes when they released it on video. Or I don't know because I yeah, I swear I remember seeing the car smashed. Hmm. It's very possible that they did add it for the TV version because at that point they really didn't need to care as much about runtime right um there's a great moment where peter vincent has a line when he's explaining to charlie when they first meet and he's telling him he got fired and he goes something like uh, no one wants to see vampires anymore just demented people in ski masks hacking up virgins yes yes <laughs> that was like, i was like i was like it's a hockey mask <laughs> <laughs> well they probably didn't want to you know get sued or something but i i just love no, that they're in the middle of the 1980s making fun of the horror movies of the 1980s yeah 
yeah, that was 1985. That was there were five parts of Friday the 13th at that point, and probably at least four of Halloween's. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Oh my I God. love that first scene where Charlie goes to uh, meet Vincent outside the um, studio, and uh, that whole scene where he's trying to explain the situation to him, and Peter Vincent is like goes through a series of like first he's being like a little annoyed and just kind of tolerating him like oh he's a fan what do you want me to sign and then he to get you know i believe in vampires and he goes what does he say like that's good or that's nice or something yeah and yeah goes to walk away from him so, i want you to help me kill this one and he's like okay bye-bye yeah yeah <laughs> he like gets in and locks the car door yeah uh-huh. he's crazy right yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. I love the fact that Jerry's got a shit ton of clocks on his wall that go off at dawn and dusk. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine being that heavy of a sleeper? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more for when the sun comes up that he's got to be. I mean, yeah, he's yeah, got to be warned. I, I mean, true. And also, it's a level of like loudness. You can probably hear that from two or three blocks away. Right. Uh, you know, the moment it's like, oh, by the way, panic. Uh... <laughs> right. There's one. Gr- but you, you would think it would go off like a half an hour before sunset. I mean, sunrise. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> maybe. Like, maybe this, you have to. He would have to. You just wait. Hold on. He would have to manually set them. Right. Well, probably Billy does it. But you got to figure that every day Billy's got to slightly change it because the, the time moves, you know. <laughs> oh, right. The sun. Yeah. <laughs> God. It's like 400 clocks on his wall. Jesus Christ. Could, could, could you just imagine being like, damn, I really need a familiar. What for? The clocks. Yeah. <laughs> I was half expecting to see one of those Garfield clocks where the, the tail swings like a pendulum <laughs> and the eyeballs move back and forth. <laughs> oh my yeah, God. But that's another example of him losing his focus and losing his cool is that he doesn't even uh, realize um, the, the Jerry, the vampire, doesn't realize that it's dawn until the clocks go off. Right. So like you said, Spence, he's not he's so wrapped up in the battle that he's that and is how much he hates them that he's not paying attention. Right. I, I enjoy watching that. It gives this it gives this air of like they're actually not the dominant species because at their core, they're much more animals than than you or I. Yeah. Right. I right. That. You know, they're they're, actually quite fragile. You know, as if if you know what they're vulnerable to, they're pretty fragile. Right. That always reminds me of like the olden days when they were killing people that or that they thought were vampires. It's like, oh, a stake through the heart will kill them. Well, yeah, a stake through the heart will kill anybody. (laughs) (laughs) That that was actually a joke in the movie Hotel Transylvania when finally like Count Dracula runs this hotel for monsters and stuff like that and uh, he finally has a human in here and he has to get rid of the human and uh, the, the, the Johnny I think his name is asking questions like what about garlic and Dracula's like my throat swells up what about a stick to the heart well who wouldn't that kill yeah uh, <laughs> that was doesn't funny. it say something doesn't Van Helsing or somebody say something in the Dracula novel about that you have to chop off the vampire's head and yeah so that, yes, the from what I know is the wooden stake isn't actually the killing blow in most of the old, old lore. That was to pin them to the grave so they couldn't get out of the coffin. Right. Yes. Ah. Yeah. You would then decapitate them or something like that or light them on fire and they couldn't escape. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And I 
I find it really funny that they're like, aha, wood, when like there's like coffins made of metal. Like, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's not gonna get pinned to that if he's smart enough. So, I don't know. I find that funny that that translated to it just kills them. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> I thought I, I thought I read somewhere you had to cut the head off and like put garlic in the mouth and yes. bury the head a certain distance away yeah. from the body or yeah. whatever. Yep. I've heard that. Um, yeah, I've also heard things like when you turn into a vampire, you're like stuck in a location. So, so sometimes you see the lore of they have to have the dirt of the area where they were buried. Right. Oh, yes. Grows out of. Yeah. You, yes. Sometimes you see that. I saw that in the Strain, which was a vampire story, but it's a different one. Oh yeah. Um, I, I really loved that one. Um, I've seen a lot of that, and I've also seen, um, oh god, I completely forgot what I was gonna say. Um, that dirt. old. Bring the dirt with you from where you bring the bring, dirt with you. Yeah, so they they actually can't leave the dirt. Like they can't go within like a mile or two outside of an area within the dirt. They have to go back to that to heal every night. Otherwise, oh. they're just gonna die and wither away. It's really interesting that oh. all the different bits of lore and different kinds of vampires too. Every single mythology has some level of blood sucking humans, specifically blood sucking humans that do not like sunlight. Right. It's kind of wow. crazy. Yeah. Oh, it's funny because um, I, I just covered um, and as part of the series um, with a guy named uh, John Grace. We talked about a film called Mr. Vampire, which is a Chinese kung fu film, but it involves the Chinese mythology of vampires. And it's really weird because in their mythology, the vampires have rigor mortis, so they can't walk or run. They have to hop, which is actually huh. kind of silly. This movie was a bit of a comedy. Um, <laughs> but And they have their arms outstretched in front of them. Um, and st the way they stop these guys is, and I always call them post-it notes, but they have these long yellow pieces of paper with like a, um, like a spell or something written on it and you put it on the vampire's forehead and that stops them. But you also have to have this candle that has to stay lit. And if the candle blows out, they'll wake up. And like, there's all these interesting things that they do. Like they, they, if the one, if there are vampires that are in coffins, they have to put these, um, light, light incense and stick it in the end of the coffin and somehow that keeps the vampire at bay uh, as well. It's really, really fascinating how it's the same yet different, you know? Yeah, uh, I, I remember what I was going to say. In the show Supernatural, when they first introduced vampires, which are actually a lot more similar to the Jerry type of vampire, not necessarily in powers, but in um, look, where they have like this big, like gaping maw of teeth that just aren't seen. Yeah. Um, the, the first thing is like the only way to kill a vampire. Aha, steak garlic no we use a machete we decapitate them <laughs> that's what we do i'm like oh okay that's a much more practical way to kill them there was a great scene um I, mike you said the word focus earlier and it reminded me there's a great scene when charlie doesn't realize that jerry's hiding in his closet and in the background charlie's looking out the window at jerry's house not realizing that he's in the room with him and you see completely out of focus in the background jerry coming out of the closet and that was a scary as shit. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty scary. Something else that was a good scary moment in the background was when fucking Billy did the Michael Myers where he sat up. Yes. And yeah. it was just all core. And you're like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> and Jer Jerry does a sit up thing, too. When um, Peter Vincent stakes him in the coffin, he does that Nosferatu where he does. He just goes up straight. He doesn't even bend his <laughs> knees or anything. Yeah. Not quite sure how he even did that, but I assume it's something to do with his flight powers. I, that's what I would assume, yeah. yeah. So it was kind of cool. Like they just they threw in like little things here and there that were just different enough 
from what we had already seen to like keep you interested. You know, they didn't reuse the same thing over and over and over. Yeah. I, I like, um, something specifically I like about this movie that gets leaned into harder in the remake is the concept that he has to be invited in. Yeah. I enjoy that level of security that Billy has. Yeah. Uh, to some extent. And then it gets, you know, absolutely revoked when his mother's like, Oh, come in. It's fine. It's like, ah, shit. Well now I'm fucked. But (laughs) it's, it's just really interesting how that is another, funny little detail that shows up yeah so many good details. very much the lost boys yes like, i i think that may i think i i don't know if i'm not sure when which one i saw first or what but i specific i i think i think when i watched lost boys it was the first time i had heard that thing about the inviting because the older guy says to michael like well you're the man of the house and i'm not coming in unless you invite me right he goes, you're invited like it's just an afterthought for michael and then later on it's like oh well you invited me in dummy you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. yeah so that was i gotta think about that was great um one thing i loved in this movie too was the score the um it was sort of yes. like an 80s synth score but it was a great tune that you know like, yeah, like I, that. It I was Brad Fidel, the guy who did the Terminator music. Oh, that's right. Uh, okay, that's pretty good. I noticed the score immediately too. I noticed actually, actually in both movies, it was really good. Um, so I I thought it did a very good job of setting the tone, and the, but I was also able they were able to pull it out of scenes. Like you don't have too much score when he's pleading with Peter Vincent or when they're talking in Jerry's house. Right. I like that. So they they only use it when there's minimal dialogue going on. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now the times that there were uh, actual songs like a rock and roll song or pop song playing in the background, Mike, did you recognize any of those? Uh, yeah, I recognized the way they sounded. Because they, you know, I've heard a lot of 80s music uh, in my life, obviously. But um, I didn't recognize any by name, I don't think. Okay, because, well, the reason being is, um, you recall the the soundtrack to The Terminator. It's got all those songs, but those were pretty much just made for the movie. Which I actually like those songs, but um, they, they weren't real pop tunes and so i'm watching this movie and i was thinking the same thing and i'm sitting there with my wife and you know charlene and she's like i go oh i love when 80s movies have cheesy 80s music in it that's not real music and she's like no i know this song she's like these are real songs what are you talking about and i'm like oh i'm like i thought they made them up for the movie <laughs> oh no <laughs> especially the one in the dance club when he's like seducing her that yes. one sounds like something they made up for the movie, but I, I don't know, I guess. It's and that was the point where she was like, no, this is a real song. She didn't remember who it was because she never does, but yeah, <laughs> that's a good point though. You just made me think of something, Michael. Um, uh, if you say it fast enough, it sounds pretty good. Um, <laughs> something, something I thought of was that it's really friggin' creepy that this dude is like seducing and hypnotizing and kidnapping 17 year old. girls. <laughs> that's in yes. my notes. <laughs> I'm like that's that's really really odd, and like nobody pays attention, nobody notices it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like we never we never not hear we never hear a peep from from the parents of Amy. Right, right. They're never right. like, hey, where's my daughter? Oh, I think she's at the neighbor's house doing what? I don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we never see her or Ed's parents, but but the thing is too that made me think of even though I've never seen the movie, I'm familiar with it. Is uh, Twilight? It's the same thing. He's like what two or three hundred years old, and he's going after high school chicks. I'm like, what is it with these vampires that are so old? 
That may, maybe yeah. because they'll they'll last longer. Like if you get them younger, you can be with them for you know fifty, sixty years. <laughs> I guess I don't really get it. Uh, I, I don't well, know. with Twilight, I think you know he 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 looks really young. Yeah. So uh, from the outside, it wouldn't seem weird for people to see them together. But yeah, in Fright Night, there's a big difference in age. Something that's actually a decent point that is just now occurring to me is if vampires are considerable biologically immortal can be killed but don't die of old age that means that if you're a bit at a young age your brain's not going to develop you're not going to get any more mature than you are now right you might get smarter but like you will not just innately have a level of wisdom anymore that, <laughs> that you would normally get if you're like age 30 versus age 17 so i think it's really funny when we have people you know like edward cullen or an older vampire um like jerry who they have this these two different demeanors where Jerry's just like, you know, you know, keep to myself, have, pe- have draw people into me instead of having me going out to them. Uh, whereas if he bit a 17 year old girl, he would be stuck with a 17 year old girl. Right. <laughs> this isn't That's exactly true. the best course of action. No. <laughs> and obviously the reason he likes Amy is that she resembles a chick in a portrait that he's got in his house, which is that's yeah. such an old trope. But uh, that was actually what sold Chris Sarandon on being in the film was one of the things. He liked that aspect of it. But you, they've done that so many times in movies. Yeah. But they it was they didn't hit you over the head with it, though. Like you That's said about true. the wood, the pencil in his hand. Right. It was like they they showed the picture early on. And then you saw, you, you know, you saw the girlfriend when he saw the girlfriend, he was staring at her. And you sort of realized, oh, that's probably why. And then toward the end, she's looking at the painting and he just goes, oh, it's someone I used to know or whatever. But they don't like dwell on it and be like, oh, you're like, just like her. And it was, you know, they don't make a big story out of it. It's just like. That's um, a good okay. point, because I've seen that yeah. in other movies where that's like the guy, the guy can't stop talking about it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Explaining oh his plan. You know, it's just it's just funny. It's an old trope. trope. I like that, though. But um. It's funny. I, I got in my notes here. It's creepy that old vampires are into high school chicks. <laughs> it, it really is. <laughs> but it's not even a territorial thing. Like you walk into Jason's, you know, area. Yeah, okay, fine. You get killed. It doesn't matter who you are. But if but this guy's actively hunting young women, <laughs> right? It's really uh, yeah. weird. Even the even the hookers he was hiring, you know, before Charlie started messing with him, were you know like twenty. 24 years old yeah they were they weren't you know uh, but i guess if i was a powerful vampire i wouldn't necessarily i mean you know younger women you know are sexier to some degree so if i'm a vampire and i have the the uh, opportunity to you know entertain myself with any kind of female thing then something between like 15 years old and you know 30 somewhere in that range is going to be my probably my first choice and you could probably argue that maybe somehow the blood is better because it's younger i don't know mm. uh, maybe maybe uh I, something i thought was really interesting jerry's walking through the 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 club with a sweater on i'm like you are not dressed for the occasion a. <laughs> <laughs> but b all the women are fawning over him and even a couple of the dudes are looking over at him like i'm wa- he's walking through and i'm like so that's what it's like to have a 30 charisma yeah okay. yeah exactly <laughs> he's just got that charm that dracula charm you know i find it interesting i'm not sure how much of it is just like people really like him and how much of it is this like unnatural passive like people are attracted to me and how much of it is this active like i want everybody to look at me and like me yeah and find me sexy 
oh. like vampires in general are either really intimidatingly scary or kind of sexy and appealing, you know. Like, right. That's something they address in Vampire the Masquerade. The game is they establish very on one of the first sentences I read in the whole book was a vampire bite is actually euphoric to a regular person. Right. Which is allows them to get in more bites and stuff like that. And that's how it was in um, the movie Only Lovers Left Alive is when the vampires drank the blood, they were getting high. Wow. Yeah, Which, I, I like that concept. You guys have got to see that movie. That's friggin' awesome. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. anyways, uh, Spence, I wanted to mention to you, too, the first bouncer they meet, the um, sort of a skinny bald dude with the goatee mm-hmm. uh, in the club, he was um, one of the bikers in Friday the 13th Part 3. Oh, yeah! Yeah! <laughs> oh, I remember that, the, that little trio. The one that you thought oh, yeah. was dead, but uh, Jason only hit him with a club, so he didn't actually kill him. <laughs> yeah, which I, I find kind of funny um, in, this, in the first... Um, uh, the, in the first uh, Fright Night that ever came out in 1985 here, what ends up happening is, if you look, that's the only um, he, like human being that we see die. That's, well, yeah, that, that we actually see, visually see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's and true. I, I, was, I was kind of, like, shocked and, like, confused when he was like, oh, yeah, anyways, by the way, here, have some claws in the middle of the club. Everyone's going to go panic, and everyone's going to look at me. And then point me out to the authorities. I'm like, okay, I guess not. Um, <laughs> whatever. There's that. Um, and then also, if you looking at the rest of the movie, I was thinking about, I'm like, how many people actually died? The rest of the of the creatures that die are actually vampires slash undead. They're you know supernatural creatures. So the deaths are a lot more uh, like you know uh, grand, and they take a lot more time. It's a lot more of an intimate experience to watch them get killed and melt and have all this gore and blood everywhere or ash right very very evil ed's death i think is probably the best oh yeah that like reverse transformation that was just amazing the effects uh so i have a question for you mike and pose to you uh rigor what is what is the your favorite uh kill in this movie of the four we get to see uh, you mean you're talking Billy, Jerry? Yes. Which which of the of the four deaths that we get to see between uh, Billy, Jerry, uh, Evil Ed, and the, <laughs> the bouncer? Um, <laughs> which one was your favorite, and why? Hmm, that's a good question. I enjoyed Evil Ed's death. Because, well, personally, I love werewolves and he was like half werewolf, half man. Mm, And even though it's obvious that he's that it's special effects and stuff, they did a really I thought they did a really good job at like generating sympathy for him. But like he's, you know, he's pretty evil. And when he was evil, he was mocking and, and, you know, seemed to be taking delight in, in threatening and hurting and people killing, you know, being evil and. But once he got staked and fell and was changing slowly back from the wolf into himself, even Peter Vincent was like, you know, he knew that he had to kill him at that time, but at the same time, he felt sorry for him. And, you know, he's like starts almost like reaching out toward him and then he he thinks better of it and he steps back. But yeah, I I mean, I guess finding here. Yeah. yeah, Hearing uh, Evil Ed's voice at the end, right before the credits, was a little bit of a relief in a way, even though I I was thinking, oh, shit, he's still alive, maybe. But 
just his, he was in so much pain um, and agony and you could just see it as he was going through the stages of turning back to, to human. And that really, yeah, that really affected me because it, it, it creates this double feeling for him. Like, well, he he's, he's, he's the, he's a victim. He's suffering, even though he's evil and he would have killed, surely he would have killed Vincent. And so Vincent had to kill him. So he, you know, he, but at the same time, inside this evil character, this killer is this, you know, scared person. And just in so much pain, the fact, like you always think about killing something, you kill it quickly, right? Like, oh, chop his head off or like stake him in the heart, he goes down. But to watch him at, like being in agony and like clutching the, 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 the wooden leg that was in him. And it, that was just really, messed up like it, it, it was great but it also makes you feel mixed emotions you know yeah yeah, mm, yeah i have to it say it's very sad um i saw this in the theater and uh with my parents and the uh the the billy death surprised me because i didn't understand i was like what the fuck why is he melting that's stupid yeah you know <laughs> took me you know a few years to sort of figure out who who or what kind of character billy was um I liked when when Jerry gets the the sunlight right in his face and he gets blasted in a bolt of fire and shoots mm. across the room. I thought that I remember you know jumping at that. Um, but I, the the bouncer he goes by so fast. I don't even I didn't even notice it. Oh, didn't the the big bouncer get killed too? He got thrown. We don't see him die. Oh, okay. But that is a showcase of strength where this is really fucking big ass <laughs> fucking dude. Yeah. And Jerry just lifts him with one hand by the neck. Yeah. But the um, I, I'm going to have to agree with you, Michael, that the um, the evil Ed death is probably my favorite as well. Um, mostly because I loved Roddy McDowell's reaction as he's watching this poor kid yeah. um, die. And he's just got the tears coming out of his eyes. Like, like his whole acting, you could just see it on his face what he was feeling at that moment and i just love that scene except for the fact that he takes the fucking wooden stake out of evil ed's chest and goes off with it it's like well you have three others leave it in him <laughs> you know he's gonna come back to life if you do that <laughs> yeah i found that an interesting move and i was just you know i was thinking about that something about evil ed though as a character is they don't really establish I, when i was a kid i thought he was like like Brewster's bully. I really didn't see him as like Brewster's friend in any capacity. And then I rewatched it. And I'm like, okay, I guess they have like this weird, like kind of casual friendship where they're kind of there for each other when they need it. But then they're like also not really all that close and all that stuff. But then when Jerry gets to him and Jerry's not like, okay, cool. I need to kill you now. Jerry's like, I know what it's like to feel very weak and feel bullied and, you know, be on the receiving end of all this all this harassment and trauma let me make you strong and i'm like that's such a good argument i see no reason for for um evil ed to to like say no to that because at that moment he also realizes aha vampires are real and aha this is my only shot at actually living through this <laughs> right right yeah. you know and that's a good point because there's another line of dialogue that gives a little exposition about jerry's past without over expounding it and you know and it also shows you too you kind of realize geez you know, maybe they they never actually said it, but you kind of did. You guys get the feeling that Ed really didn't have any friends, except for Charlie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they they didn't have to ever say that. You know, that's that's one of the the great things about this movie is all this stuff that goes unsaid, but you still 
you still get it anyways. Yeah. What about you, Spence? What's your favorite kill? I, I did. I was. I was really like looking away during um, uh, Billy's kill, Billy's death. Uh, I was like, oh, okay, hold on. I have to like look away for a hot set because he was melting. You look back and just see him getting progressively worse and worse and worse. <laughs> and I really enjoyed that. Um, Evil Ed is still, I, I have to agree that it's probably my favorite just because of the transformation aspect of it yeah. and how horrifically sad it was. Whereas I don't feel as bad for Billy because he's, you know, just yeah. kind of like the, he's the lackey. And he was a dick um, so- anyways. Yeah, he was a real douchebag. Yeah, <laughs> Billy's Billy's death was the most fun. Yeah, I, I got I, the yeah. sense that the people making the movie were like, "Let's just go all out and make this fucking ridiculous," you know. Yeah. Like, so we have this extra eight thousand dollars to spend from the. Budget. <laughs> what right. are we going to spend it on? <laughs> and then he finally like reaches a point of you know decomposition where his skeleton just kind of you know, explodes and falls down the stair- stairway in a, in a pile of pe- like Lego pieces practically. <laughs> yeah. And then his skull just kind of like slides over on the, on the, on the floor, like by itself. I thought that was kind of a cool moment to end the death with like the skull sitting there staring at the camera. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was awesome. You know, and Spence earlier, you mentioned about the fog in the house and, you know, that's the one thing watching it this time around. I was like, what? Because it looked like literally from all over the house, fog was pouring out of it, which looked yeah. cool. But why? I I didn't get why it did that. That's why I think my theory is that one of his powers is being able to transform into fog. That's that's Jerry literally leaving the house. Oh, OK. I without see. being seen. Right. Right. Interesting. I, th- I thought that was cool because I'm sitting there like because in some lore that is a vampire ability to turn into mist right. and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Dracula has been known to do that in a couple of couple of iterations. Yeah. So that whole thing, I was like, oh wait, shit, that might fuck. That's Jerry. Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but there, yeah, there is at least one shot though where it looks like a lot, like there's a lot of it, like mm. coming pouring out of the house. So it's almost like it would take. It seems like it would take him some effort to generate that much. But maybe it's just one of his powers is to create that sort of atmosphere, like, you know, obscure people's vision of him by, like, conjuring up this mist or something. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, just real quick, jumping back to all the special effects shots, I remember seeing all those in an issue of Fangoria magazine. They had they had them all over. And I, I think I had already seen the movie at that point, but it was really awesome just to see them um, in pictures. I wanna, yeah. Sorry. No, is it? Um. I just want to say something about the, the 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 cross and the faith and stuff. So when Jerry first comes into Charlie's bedroom, there's, you know, he's, he's uh, pinning Charlie against the, the wall where the window is. And Charlie starts bringing up the little gold cross that he has in his hand. And without even looking, um, the vampire grabs his arm and like holds it, you know, away from him. And they don't say anything about faith. It's just, you know, da da da. Then later on, they're in the house. So the, then, uh, then Evil Ed goes to kill Peter Vincent, and Peter Vincent picks up a cross and puts it on uh, Ed's head, and it burns him, and he like freaks out, right? Yeah. So then later, they go to the house, and Peter Vincent tries to use the cross on the 
on Jerry and Jerry laughs at him. He says, well, you got, you, that's not going to work unless you have faith. And I thought, well, wait a minute, why did it work on Ed? If it, you know, Vincent used it cross on Ed and it worked. So why is it not working on Jerry? That's, I have a, actually a thought about, I was thinking about that. So what makes Jerry different from Ed or anybody else uh, that is a vampire? Um, one of the my favorite points of dialogue is when Ed goes full vampire, and I mean mentally. After he's been damaged by that, he s starts going into the well. The master is going to rip you apart. He's going to kill you slow. Yeah, you better be scared of him. So that leads me to think, and that there are some things that vampires can do innately, like turning into wolves and stuff like that. But then, uh, even worse is that as you at some point there's a hierarchy where Jerry is. A, a superior being to Ed. Mm. And that's why it, the cross will work on Ed no matter what, whereas on him, you have to have faith. It's no longer just a, a simple mm. geometric shape that is uh, alien to you. Yeah, I think maybe at that point, Ed hadn't made a kill yet. Mm, so he wasn't possible. He hadn't quite crossed over that to that level of power, maybe. I don't know. But that, yeah, yeah that, I, I well, I was going to say, that's what I was thinking, is that he was, at that moment, he had, was newly created, so he was such a low-level vampire that the cross mm. would work on him, even if... Because you got to figure Roddy McDowell had some kind of faith, because he was using it as a weapon. It just wasn't enough to, to, to hurt Jerry, but it was enough to hurt Ed. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that he says... He, he's actually... The, um, Jerry, the vampire, actually says the thing about faith twice. Yes. You know, yeah. like the first it's, time, like, oh, you have to have faith. And then it happens again. And he's like, you know, that's not going to work. You, you got to have faith. And I, I really think that that's one of that's actually uh, you could you could almost infer that that's actually a phrase that he's heard before himself mm. and not just not just said to people. And it's almost like one of those um, phrases that you hear, like, uh, how do I phrase this? It's <laughs> like a trigger for him of like, I have to kick into high gear of. Uh, my survival is at stake here. You have mm. to have faith to for it to work on me is also a matter of him being like, if if you don't get faith, I will kill you. And that yeah. is how I will survive. Right, right. <laughs> it's almost panic. And, and isn't that like both, both, it's like with Vincent, it seems like his resolve, his, his faith increases uh, at a certain point because the vampire starts to come toward him and then sort of stops. But then with Charlie, it seemed like he had stronger faith and then it sort of faltered at a certain point. Or am I remembering it wrong? No, no, you're absolutely right. Um, Charlie definitely was shown to have a lot stronger of the faith in the system. And I think that's really cool because he's the one who's been believing in vampires from the very beginning mm. uh, of the whole flick. And something in, um, in a later iteration of vampires in the uh, Vampire the Masquerade, the game, there's a whole game mechanic based around the concept of true faith and it's something you have to avoid and it can be any of the major religions uh it can be you just have to have true faith that there is some sort of higher being uh, some sort of celestial being that is going to protect you through this symbol you have um which i thought was cool and in another iteration in castlevania they said well vampires are just a super predator so if you show them geometric shapes like a cross it screws with them it screws with their brain huh. and i'm like that's i'm like that's such a cool idea <laughs> like you could you could mix that of the whole like you know geometric shapes screw with them but also the faith terrifies them right i right. thought that was a fun i thought that was a
fun weapon throughout the movie and it's definitely not unheard of right especially when you described him as demonic yeah He's very demonic. Oh, yeah. I think there was another movie, too, where somebody said something about faith and the person, like, took a moment to kind of close their eyes and, and think inside themselves and, and suddenly, like, was able to, like, bring this stronger feeling of faith, maybe something they had when they were a kid. I forget what the other movie was, but there was a movie like that where the person, like, had to generate faith inside himself for the cross to work. Was that Bram Stoker's Dracula? Oh, I don't know. Maybe that's a movie I want to revisit because I remember not liking that movie. Yeah, and I have to. I didn't like it either. Watch it again. I think. I think no. watching it again might be different. Um, but yeah. So one thing I didn't get when I was a kid, and I kind of get it now because I've seen it done similarly in other movies and TV shows, is when Amy transforms and she has this like giant mouth. Which, yeah. As a kid, I just totally didn't get that. I'm like, what the fuck? That doesn't make any sense to me. Why? What am I seeing here? You know, now after watching, like you said, Spence, The Strain and other th- movies, I think even like Blade 2 and stuff, it's like, yeah, OK, yeah. I could kind of I could kind of see that now. I could kind of buy it. I didn't buy it at first. I remember thinking it was kind of stupid. I think they were trying to make her ugly also. Like there was a shift from her being seductive and, you know, she still looked kind of hot and she had the she had, her eyes were weird and she had fangs, but you know, she still had the nice lips and the pretty face. And then there was her a point boobs at which were bigger. She just went, ah, you yeah. know, and all of a sudden it was like, Oh fuck. You know, she's ugly and scary. Yeah. And her boobs were bigger. I thought that was funny. Something, huh. I, <laughs> something I found really scary about specifically Amy uh, being um, the vampire was I will always be terrified of that like cheekless smile where you can see the whole jaw up to the joint. Yeah. yeah. I, I always freak out at that. So like, you know, Jerry, he's, you know, you know, creepy and demonic, but he's not like immediately. How do I phrase it? Uh, re- like repulsive to me. Whereas when mm. I saw Amy's face, I'm like, okay, that's a lot. That's terrifying. Yeah. Um, and I thought she had like the scariest vampire face because Ed didn't even have that. Ed had the big like tusks and fangs like Jerry. Yeah. But she had the long rictus grin face. Yeah. It's almost like a like a snake almost because like the jaw goes oh. way back. And yeah. 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 Mm. Oh, my God. So let's start to wrap this up. There was a couple of things at the end here I wanted to mention. Um uh, obviously, the, when the smashing of the windows to kill Jerry was really fun. That was cool. Um, but I did love that Peter Vincent was finally got his job back, and basically he wasn't showing vampire movies for a while. But he says he's showing. He introduces the movie, and he goes, "And now coming up is Mars Wants Flesh." And I'm looking at it. First of all, there's no such movie as Mars Wants Flesh, and the movie he was showing was the movie Octoman. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck? I don't know if you guys noticed that it was like this, you know, humanoid looking octopus dude with was really horrible costume. I didn't even notice it. <laughs> I, I saw it. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Which that's a real movie. I don't know why they even just say Octoman. I guess Mars wants flesh sounded better. But that's <laughs> the, the theme song called Fright Night I saw in the end credits was actually performed and written by the Jay Giles band, which I didn't really. Know. Yeah. Fright Night. Huh. 
You know. <laughs> um, they had a couple of the clips, the uh, premature burial. They had some stills, I think, in like Peter Vincent's house and in maybe one or two of the Charlie and or I was going to say one or two of the kids. So like Charlie and Ed's room, there was a poster for like Frankenstein, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, House of Dracula. I think even Peter Vincent had a Fangoria on his on his coffee table. Um, but now the movie was originally supposed to end with Charlie and Amy making out on the couch as Peter Vincent's show is playing in the va- in the background, and you hear him say, "Tonight's creepy crawler is Dracula Strikes Again." Obviously about vampires. You know what vampires look like, don't you? They look like this. And suddenly Peter transforms into a vampire on live television as oh uh, my god, watch yeah. <laughs> oh Jesus. That would have been like just like the howling. I was just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Mommy, the weather lady's turning into a werewolf (laughs) (laughs) or the news lady. All right. So final thoughts Mm. on this film. Uh, You started it, Michael. Why don't you go? Uh, Final thoughts is I've seen I think I've seen it eight to seven or eight times in my life. And uh, every time I, I love it more it's like um yeah i just i just think it's really well done and again the fact that the writer and the director is the same person and yet the movie is not overly self-indulgent or you know you don't have to roll your eyes and go oh well okay i guess i'll let that go it's it's pretty tight progression of um story and and the effects and the acting and it just it all comes together it's great actually i enjoyed it more last night knowing we were going to talk about it, I was like really focused on it. And, and um, in the past, I was, there were certain characters that I was like, Oh, I hate this part. The character's stupid. But um, yeah, when I was watching it this time, it, it's it just, yeah, it's, it's great. I love it. I still love it. I'll probably watch it eight more times in my life before I die. And would you recommend this to uh, people who maybe uh, don't know anything about horror movies, but might want to get into them? Yeah. Um, Definitely. I, I would say just just be, you know, even though the effects are not like state of the art anymore, be be prepared for a couple of like uh, goopy, <laughs> splattery <laughs> e- endings uh, toward the end. But um, yeah, if you if you can handle that kind of special effects stuff, the, the most of the movie is not that gory, you know, really at all. So it's uh, it's very cool. Yeah, I would I would recommend it to somebody who's. I don't know if I would want that to be their first first vampire movie, but maybe why not? It includes a lot of the the uh, typical vampire um, characteristics and tropes and whatnot. Nice, Spence. Uh, yeah, I love this movie. I think it's a fantastic vampire movie. It's a fun movie. It's uh, an enjoyable an enjoyable flick overall. Um, the body horror with some of the deaths, I think, is phenomenal and really gives this these two sides of the same coin when it comes to this movie there's this like fun oh no i need to fight this vampire versus oh my god this thing's actually dying in front of me so i thought that was really good the acting was phenomenal um roddy mcdowell really sold the show um and yeah that's really it it's a good it's a good horror movie and i think people my age to some extent may be a little annoyed that it's all practical, but I think the fact that it's all practical actually works in favor of the movie, and um, I recommend it to, you know, anybody my age who's interested in it. Awesome. Or horror at all. I'll, I actually am going to ask my um, film major friends if they've seen this movie. Nice, nice. 
get a good conversation going about it. Yeah, I, I love this movie. I saw it in the theaters. It's one of my favorites. It's got all the elements of a good horror film. Um, it, there's so many nods to the Hammer films of the 50s and 60s. Uh, I, I fucking love Roddy McDowell in this. He's, he, I was just so happy to revisit this. I'm glad we, we picked this one. You know, I, it's one of these films I've seen so many times I can actually probably recite most of the dialogue. But one thing I love about it, too, is that it, it still holds up. Even though it's 80s and you've got the, the 80s disco and some of the 80s styles, it's not dated. It's like I didn't even really notice the styles all that much. I kind of had to actively think about it when at a few t- few moments because like, I mean, obviously there's no cell phone, no com- you know, computers, that sort of thing. But um, it really it just holds up well. I think it was just as awesome as when I first saw it, maybe even more so because now we've been able to sort of break down some of the themes and stuff in it. So, all yeah. right, folks. Oh, sorry. Did you have something else? No, no, I was just saying, yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, folks, so we are going to take a break, and then next up is the 2011 remake of Fright Night, starring Anton Yelchin and Colin Farrell. Are you a lifelong fan of General Hospital? Are you a new fan who wants to know more about the history of the show? Do you enjoy talking about the show with others? Do you find yourself yelling at the TV? Is your self-care an hour a day in Port Charles? If so, we invite you to join hosts Amanda Kimmel and Shannon Coach at the place where all the hidden conversations take place and secrets are revealed. Meet us at Pier 54, a General Hospital fan podcast. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit... We have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. And our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Prepare for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. 
Here your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to the discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast, it's the greatest show in history. From the Dorkening Network, hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hey, Mom. Hey, just checking in. What you up to? Uh... Adam Johnson. Adam? You know, Adam's missing, right? Right? Kids aren't coming to school. It happens all the time. I don't know if you're paying attention to roll call, but he's not the only one that's gone. You're nuts. This is my son, Charlie, and his girlfriend. Hi. So Jerry is our new neighbor. Hey. Hey. Now listen to me. We dropped up all the disappearances. That's you right there in the center next to his house. I really hate to be the one to tell you this, but that guy, your neighbor? Jerry. Yeah, he's a vampire. <laughs> that is a terrible vampire name. Jerry? you. Your mom, there's a kind of uh, neglect, gives off a scent. And your girl, she's ripe. It's on you to look out for them, because there are a lot of bad people out there, Charlie. What's that? I'm gonna end him or he's gonna end me. That's how it's gonna be.
Charlie Brewster is a teenager living in a suburb of Las Vegas, Nevada, who discovers that a new neighbor has moved in next door. Charlie's old best friend, Edward Evil Ed Lee, informs him that many students have gone missing, including their other childhood friend, Adam Johnson. When Charlie goes home after school, his mother, Jane, introduces him to Jerry Dandridge, their new neighbor. Fed up and angry with Ed after he claims that Jerry's a vampire, Charlie tells him that he's crazy and he does not want to be friends anymore. On his way home, Ed is confronted by Jerry, who claims that he's been watching Ed and he's been aware of Ed watching him. Jerry soon chases Ed into a nearby pool and convinces him into believing that his life would be much better if he were a vampire. Ed succumbs and willingly allows Jerry to bite him. The next day, Charlie realizes that Ed is missing and decides to investigate, starting to believe Ed's claims. Looking at Ed's computer, Charlie discovers video recordings of objects moving on their own, with Ed's voiceover revealing that he is recording Jerry to prove that his reflection does not show up in recordings. As Jerry begins to attack more people throughout the neighborhood, Charlie sneaks into Jerry's house and finds out that he keeps his victims in secret rooms. Charlie goes to Las Vegas magician Peter Vincent, a supposed expert on vampires. Peter, however, does not take him seriously and kicks him out. Jerry comes to Charlie's house and tampers with the gas line, blowing it up. Charlie, Jane, and his girlfriend, Amy Peterson, flee through the desert in their minivan. Jerry catches up with them, but is wounded by Jane with a real estate sign stake. Jane is admitted to a hospital where Charlie is summoned by Peter. Upon arriving at Peter's penthouse, he's informed of the species of vampire that Jerry is when Ed turns up. By now, Ed has been fully transformed into a vampire, and he aids Jerry in attacking Charlie, Amy, and Peter. As they fight, Ed lets all of his anger out in his opponent, and Charlie reluctantly kills him. Meanwhile, Amy shoots Jerry with silver bullets, which are rather ineffective, but then injures Jerry with holy water. They then run into a club where they get separated in the crowd. Amy is kissed, bitten, and possessed by Jerry, who proceeds to take her. Peter later refuses to help Charlie and reveals that both of his parents were killed by a vampire, later revealed to be Jerry himself. He does, however, give Charlie a stake, blessed by St. Michael, that will kill Jerry and turn all of his victims back into humans. Charlie goes to Jerry's house, where Peter decides to join him after all. They are led into Jerry's basement, where they're attacked by many of Jerry's victims, including Amy. Charlie confronts Amy, and she explains how they can be with each other forever. Just as she's about to bite Charlie, he stabs her, intentionally missing her heart and then escaping. Meanwhile, Peter's ambushed by Jerry and many of his victims. Peter's able to kill a few before his weapon backfires. Charlie returns to the basement only to see Peter being fed on by the remaining vampires. He decides to shoot holes in the ceiling from which sunlight shines in and kills them. The patch of sunlight guards both Charlie and Peter from the vampires who had not been destroyed. Jerry appears, explaining that Charlie's quest is, in fact, over. Charlie, having outfitted himself in a flame-retardant suit, has Peter light him on fire and tackles Jerry just as Amy is feeding on him. A struggle between the two ensues while the other vampires watch. Peter assists him by shooting another hole in the ceiling to allow more sunlight in. This burns Jerry, and Peter tosses Charlie the blessed stake, the blessed stake he had dropped. Charlie quickly stabs Jerry in his exposed heart, killing him and returning his victims to their human form. Afterwards, Charlie's mother recovers in the hospital and goes to shop for a new house as Charlie and Amy have sex in Peter's penthouse. So, uh, first impressions. Spence, you go this time. I was pleasantly surprised by this movie. Uh, for you know, I'd never have high expectations for a remake, but I thought this movie was very, very well done. A very, very fun horror movie, and all around just a really, really good watch if you're just in the mood for a very 
I don't want to say superficial, but uh, not so deep horror movie. Was this the first time you saw it? Yes. I had only seen it once, and it was today. Oh, okay. Wow. Michael? Uh, I I liked the movie overall. I thought the reinterpretation of Peter Vincent was good. I don't know if I would have enjoyed it quite as much had it not been uh, David Tennant playing the role, because I love David Tennant. Uh, but anyway, um, overall, my biggest thing was that I just love Chris Sarandon in the original so much. And I felt like even though the movie had has its strengths, I felt Colin Farrell just couldn't hold a candle to uh, Chris Sarandon's performance. And so it, the vampire himself sort of let me down. But the movie it's overall was was not bad. Interesting, interesting. Now, I had this, um, I saw it when it was first on video, Spence. I thought you watched it with me because I watched it. I remember watching it in the barn when we had uh, the the movie set up, uh, the theater set up in, in your barn there. Um, but yeah, when it first came out on video, I watched it and I really didn't want to see it. Uh, when I heard that Peter Vincent wasn't going to be a TV horror host, I was pissed. And I kind of went in almost kicking and screaming. I think the only reason I did give it a chance was was because David Tennant was in it. Um, I've never been a big Colin Farrell fan, and I've never actually been any kind of Colin Farrell fan. <laughs> so that was two things against it. Um, I, I, I have to admit, walking into it, I did not want to like it. But I, I seem to remember thinking that when I did see it, it was, it was just okay when I first saw it. I, I didn't hate it as, as I thought I was going to hate it. And then uh, I did rewatch it the other day. I liked it better than the first time I watched it. Um, I think enough time had passed, I kind of got over my initial hang-ups. Um, you know, it's a pretty decent vampire film, but uh, my argument is we already have the original, so we really don't need this one. I mean, they should have just yeah. done something completely different and not called it Fright Night. Um, I, I don't feel like I ever need to watch it again. I mean, uh, maybe if it comes up, you know, and we're, we're having a, a drinking party and doing MST3K, I might watch it. Um, <laughs> but... You know, yeah, like you said, Michael, uh, David Tennant was great, but he was not as good as Roddy McDowell. Um, no, I mean, totally different iteration. Yeah. What what pissed me off was all they had to do was have him be like Svengoolie is now. He's, he would be the last nationally syndicated horror host. And all you have to do is explain in two lines of dialogue what a horror host is. And... You know, that would actually be a, a cool subplot that could have gotten modern audiences into looking up what horror hosts are, because there still are a bunch out there now. They're all online and stuff, but they were inspired by, you know, previous horror hosts from the 60s, 70s and 80s. And I, I feel like that's an aspect of the movie that's kind of gone, um, that didn't have it all. Uh, I had actually forgotten pretty much all this film. I, the only thing I remembered was that there was a chase on the highway. And I remember visually how it looked, but I don't I didn't remember any of the events of what happened. Um, so it was kind of like watching it fresh this time around. And, you know, I, it was a decent monster movie, decent vampire movie. But I, you know, it doesn't hold a candle to the original. So uh, at least in my opinion. And the, the special effects were kind of so so. Yeah. Like, even though they were computer generated there, they looked kind of crappy in some shots and that's the thing you know the, like we were talking about the practical effects in the original film even though they look different from well all right let me put it to you this way roger ebert once said about the difference between stop motion animation and computer animation is that stop motion looks fake but feels real 
computer-generated stuff looks real but feels fake. And ah. I think that's true in this film here is that, you know, it, it worked for what it needed to do, but it could have been, you know, like some of these modern filmmakers nowadays, they're doing a mix. Uh, like when, in the prequel to The Thing, Spence, you and I watched that. They, they, it was mainly practical effects, but they would enhance it with the computer effects. You know, they would they would fill in gaps or even like in, in Jurassic Park, I think um, Spielberg, you had the top of the T-Rex was mechanical. The bottom was mechanical, but then they kind of connected them with computer effects. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea is to to blend them rather than just do one or the other. Use them, right. you know, use the, the strengths of both. Yeah, this was also at the time. You have to remember, this is 2011. This is like at the advent of of when computer generated effects were being made. So this has the same vibe to me as the 1991 Power Rangers movie where the CGI doesn't really age all that well. Right. <laughs> this movie, when I was watching it, I also had a completely forgotten and I only had to like infer it. I think it was made in 3D. Yes, I think you're right. I think that also is a part of why there were so many special oh. effects. There's so many moments where something flies right at the camera that didn't right. really need to do that. Oh yeah, I I didn't even think of that until I was doing my research afterwards. I I saw that and I was like, oh shit, yeah. I was watching. That's I'm right. like, oh yeah, that popped. It. Why? I'm like, why did he do that? Why did? Why? What was the the purpose of that? Um, overall, I completely disagree with you. I think this movie is different enough from the original that it's actually really good. If you're when you're comparing apples to oranges, yeah, you're gonna you're gonna sit there and say the one that came out first is you know the original, so therefore it's the superior. But this movie, in my opinion, is much better written and much better uh, overall in the um, relationships because all of the victims that we see actually matter. We don't have to deal with, oh, look, Jerry's hiring hookers and then eating them. We actually get to deal with he's kidnapping the neighbors and holding them hostage, stuff like that. And it's a lot more intimate. The people we see die and get killed and become vampires are friends and you know people that uh um charlie knows that i think makes it so much more impactful and then also i much more prefer um uh peter vincent's um how do i say this i much prefer his his stake in the matter for lack of a better term <laughs> um because it was a lot more personal for him i didn't necessarily see see the need to make sure it was jerry that killed his 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 parents but i thought that was a neat little trick that they didn't really harp on um but i did enjoy the fact that he was like i didn't just collect this stuff because i thought it was bitching i collected this <laughs> stuff because i thought it because i i thought i saw something and it was a level of um agent Mulder from x-files like i want to believe i saw something i know i saw it and i really enjoyed that and then later on when he comes back he's like it was real. Now I have to. I have to man up and do it. Yes. Did he have this little character arc? It was yes, but it was more than just a. Oh look, I'm a horror host and I I talk about vampires as if they were fake and now they're real. It's a matter of I now have to confront the reality of my own situation a lot more emotionally. And I thought that was a little bit more impactful than what they had in the original. Yeah, yeah, I can give you that. So let's get into the cast and crew here first. Um, it was directed by a guy named uh, Craig Gillespie. He directed 22 things. I haven't seen any of them. The only one that actually the title I recognized was the movie Cruella. Um, other than that, I've never heard of any of his movies. It was adapted from Tom Holland's script. Now, Mike, you should know this name. It's a lady named Marty Noxon. Does that sound familiar to you? 
Yeah, she was like a producer on Buffy or something. That's right. right. She produced yeah. Buffy, Angel, Prison Break, a ton of other TV shows, and she also wrote for them. So she kind of knows her way around horror. I'm surprised that this movie didn't. I just felt like and I didn't really want to bring this up at this point of the, of the game, but I felt like whoever made this movie hadn't seen the original and it didn't have the passion for it. They hit all the beats or, or most of the beats from the original movie, but they just kind of went and did their own thing. And it, like, I didn't feel it was so much an homage as it was like, oh, yeah, the producer said we have to, you know, we have to have a scene where you don't see him in the mirror. And, oh, we have to have this I, scene in it. You know, that's what I felt getting out of this movie. I don't know. See, OK, so I did a little experiment for myself. Um, what I did was I'm like, OK, I've seen Fright Night, the original. I'm going to rewatch the remake. I'm going to watch the remake for the first time before I rewatch the original. And yeah. there were a couple of things in it that were attention to detail focused that I noticed were also in the original. There's a couple of moments. Um, Charlie is sitting in his chair asleep and wakes up to this woman screaming. That was in both movies. They yeah. didn't need to include that, but I really enjoyed uh, that, that as a, uh, uh, you know, I really enjoyed callback. that as, as a callback. I enjoyed that. There was, there was a couple other callbacks um, that happened. And I also like that as a plot point, when he kills Ed, who is now a vampire, it's a lot better than um, Peter Vincent doing it because they were obviously going for a different take with the powers. They weren't going for as many transformations, although there was a little a little um, tidbit of information when he's looking at Ed's notes. Ed's like, they can transform into wolves, bats, and fog, etc. <laughs> and I thought that was really, really interesting. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So they didn't like forget about it. They just chose to do something different. And thus it made it that much more impactful when Ed's when Ed's dying, you know, to, you know, in his vampire way and he's looking at, uh, he's looking at Charlie and Charlie and he's looking at Charlie and says like, it's okay. It's, you know, Charlie. And then kind of you feel for him again. And it actually matters a bit more. I found that in the original, there was a lot more of um, superficial relationships that seemingly, I don't want to use the word force, but they, they seem to be implemented in a way that didn't really have this like emotional, uh, uh, it would, didn't feel like it fit into the emotional bubble of what the movie was. Yeah, yeah, I can I can see your point. Um, so in the cast, we've got, of course, the late Anton Yelchin as Charlie Brewster. Um, he's probably most famous for playing Chekhov in the um, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek films. Um, he was oh, also, yeah. He was also in another movie, actually, um, the one I mentioned earlier, Only Lovers Left Alive. He was in that. I liked him in this. He, he kind of uh, gave you this Peter Parker vibe, I thought in this movie did you guys feel that at all i, I don't know uh, i don't know just there was something about him being this you know teenager with this i don't know i, I just got a peter parker vibe off it. i can't really verbalize I, it <laughs> i can see that i can see that he he definitely was one of those a really interesting character and a lot more interesting to me than the original charlie brewster because the, the original charlie brewster there's there's not a whole lot to care or like about him like he talks yeah. to his mom but the mom kind of disappears halfway through the movie right okay yes he cares about amy there's that but that's it him and ed have this weird relationship whereas i much more preferred in the in the um the remake that they have this they establish that charlie actually turned his back on it you know he stopped hanging mm. out with him because he wanted to hang out with the cool kids he started wearing their clothes and talking the way they talk and then when 
Ed's like, hey, we were friends up until like last year. What the hell happened? It makes me feel for Ed. Don't get me wrong. Ed's still a dick. He's called Evil Ed for a reason. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I felt for him a lot more, not to mention as a plot point, I much prefer the fact that Ed was like, he's a vampire, he's a vampire. And Charlie didn't believe it first. Charlie had to see proof after Ed was already gone. Yeah, that was an interesting flip they did in this movie. I noticed quite a few things in this movie that they they did the reverse of what happened in the original. I much preferred that. I thought that was a much better executed plot of like of of, see, of having Charlie have this moment of I have to come to terms with things, not he's immediately sus of everybody else, and and we're just gonna go with it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you know, it even it even makes the idea of the vampire a little a little more dubious the fact that it's the 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 geeky kid who doesn't have a lot of friends you know evil ed who's he's at first the one going he's a vampire he's a vampire and you know um charlie's the one who doesn't believe him whereas in the original you know charlie is a fairly normal straight-laced kid but then he's the one running around saying this crazy stuff so it almost seems to fit you know in a way it seems to fit better to have uh, ed be the one who's Right. raving and then first nobody believes it. and keep in mind you know we have the perspective now of having the remake and the original whereas tom holland came up with the original concept because he kind of thought of rear window and he thought you know what if mm. this kid sees something out his window and and there's a vampire living next door to him and so that's sort of where that plot point kind of came out of it wasn't it wasn't until that movie had been done that someone could then go oh well, let's do it this way and see how that works you know Right, yeah, right. yeah. Something I also liked is that when you meet Jerry, there's there's no reason for Charlie Brewster to, you know, think that he's up to something. He just immediately doesn't like him because both his mom and his girlfriend are immediately infatuated with this guy, right. um, <laughs> which I, would piss me off too. So I thought that that was a perfectly, I don't know, very reasonable and not. There was a lot more focus in this movie on the mystery of what was going on for the first few minutes. It wasn't until 25 minutes in uh, that Brewster had proof to some extent and real suspect that uh, Jerry's a vampire. Right. I thought that was a much more interesting thing to watch than when I watched the original. I was like, OK, cool. And within like the first five minutes, Charlie yeah. was like, I think he's a vampire. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's funny. Although that's like a difference in the story to some extent, too, that in the newer one, like you said, they spent like 20 to 30 minutes with figuring out that he's a vampire. And then after that was the, all the other stuff that came with it, whereas in the original one, it was, you know, you just had to accept the fact that Charlie was just into this stuff to the point where he would recognize it. And then because he sticks his nose in where it doesn't belong, the rest of the movie happens because the vampire gets pissed off at him and you know right yeah <laughs> now we got colin farrell obviously playing jerry like i said before i never really liked colin farrell i can't stand his freaking caterpillar eyebrows they always he's not me. a yeah he's not a bad actor he just isn't doesn't stand out no uh, yeah exactly uh he was in the remake of total recall uh he was in that movie phone booth which actually that wasn't a bad movie where the guy that was, was like, a decent movie, yeah. yeah, trapped in the phone booth by I forget bad guys. Or he something. was in the Batman. He was the Penguin. What? Oh, yeah. that's right. I Colin forgot about Fe that. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yes, I, I'm, I'm about to fact check you. Wait a yes. minute. <laughs> no, it absolutely. Colin was. Farrell yeah. has a shit ton of makeup on. He's the Penguin in, in the Batman, the one that uh, just came out. Oh my god! Yeah. I have immediately just gained a love for this guy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
That's, That's crazy. Funny. I remember seeing that in the end credits of the Batman. I I forgot about that. That's crazy. That that just that just shook me to my core. Uh-huh. I I could see your point where his acting was a little more lackluster. But when I was watching it, I was definitely immediately realizing that the different. And when I had watched the original afterwards, I immediately realized they were going for something different. He's not the same Jerry Dandridge as the one before. He's not aristocratic. He's right. We first see him. He's working like on his like garden or something. Like he's immediately working the land. He's meant to be this like low key down to earth guy. He's asking uh, Charlie for beer and stuff like that. He's definitely not the same person as the other one. So I can see your point, but at the same time, I much, much found him. I found his nonchalance much scarier when he's like, look at him. It's fine. I'm like, they just spent like an hour running from you. Right. (laughs) Um, It it felt like that was a really, it was really um, meant to be an implicit threat. Yeah. I thought that was, Mm. I thought that was enjoyable and decently executed. Uh, Colin Farrell, just to continue, who was also in the uh, movie versions of the TV shows uh, SWAT and Miami Vice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, he played Bullseye in the Batfleck film Daredevil. I'm sorry, the Ben Affleck film Daredevil. Right, that's right. Oh, really? Interesting. So, I like it. That's a movie I, I hated. Irish accent. I, I, yeah. It's a movie I hated, I like- but I wouldn't mind revisiting it, maybe just to make fun of it. <laughs> I'd like to watch it. I saw I saw an end clip of it, and I was like, ah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I thought there. I thought I heard there was a director's cut out there somewhere. There is. Oh, yeah, that might be worth seeing. I'm trying to remember if I actually saw it or not. I think I, you know, now that I've completely forgotten, but now that you mention it, I may have seen the director's cut and liked it a lot better than the original or whatever mm. the theatrical version. This, this tends to happen. <laughs> um, we've got yeah. another guy here, Christopher Mintz Plass, who played uh, Evil Ed. Now I recognize him right off the bat as the villain from the Kickass movies. Um, yes, but that's be- right. That's beyond, where I saw him from. Yeah, it's it, it, beyond that. I don't know any of his movies. <laughs> I didn't recognize any. He was also uh, McLovin in. Um, he played a character called McLovin. Well, he had made a fake name for. He made a fake ID for himself, and the name he put on the fake ID was McLovin. It was in some. What's the name of the movie? Was it Super Bad? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I never saw that. Yeah, I've heard that was good. Yeah, um, I just, I, I just like. Um, Shit, and I can't think of his name either. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> it was Joan, Jonah Hill, right? Jonah Hill, Jonah Hill. Yeah, yeah I like him. I like yeah, him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, funny. I, I really thought he did a fantastic job. Uh, considering Evil Ed got a lot less screen time in this movie, I thought that scenes he was in, it was very enjoyable because he was both his lines and his demeanor very clearly expressed the relationship they him and Charlie had. And I thought that was like kind of key because we were really following Charlie this whole time. Mm. Uh, so I loved his performance and not to mention, I like the level of, I don't want to say self-awareness, but there's a, there's a couple of moments where he's like, bro, I can smell you. This is crazy. As he's hunting him. <laughs> and I'm like, that is exactly something I would say if, if that had happened to me. Right. Uh, and, and then also when he gets, he gets like his head, like partially, you know, cut off, he's, you know, almost decapitated when he hit, gets hit in the neck and he's missing an arm. So he's now laying on top of uh, Charlie trying to bite him and he can't. And at one point he's like, he like bites like five times and he goes, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> And I thought that was the funniest thing. I'm like, that is such a good way to, I don't want to say humanize because he's 
meant not meant to be a human but to show this character is a little bit more complex than just the plot point he's he's showing right right yeah the only the issue i had was um like stephen jeffries had a certain like his voice and the way he talked um was very distinct and and has certain character to it and you know when he goes oh brewster you're so cool you know that's a (laughs) memorable line but when when christopher mintz says it in this movie it's he just goes, oh, Brucey, you're so cool. I'm like, well, really? That That's also, how you're going to was... deliver the fucking line? <laughs> but the problem is, my, my counter argument is that they were accomplishing two different things. One was making fun of him because he had just gotten slapped in the face with somebody else's food by his girlfriend. <laughs> uh, the other one was a, was, this, was a line meant to show how deeply cut Brewster had hurt him. Okay. It's a very right. it's a I'll very quick thing because he's immediately looking at his little like jock friend group behind him like oh you're so cool Brewster you're wearing the shoes that was oh, something that they yeah. showed too and I was like I, I, like as as you know I'm 21 so I can kind of relate to these school scenarios and having different friend groups and stuff like that a lot more than I thought I'm like oh wow that actually like kind of hurt mm-hmm. I'm like geez it sucks when your friend like abandons you for somebody else <laughs> i yeah. didn't get what the whole thing was up was i didn't get what was up with the whole thing about his shoes being puce i thought the color was fine i didn't have a problem with it <laughs> i didn't i didn't really even know what that word meant i didn't know that was the color <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> until just now so thank you for that that's um, hilarious but but i will i i thought it was the brand but i still I still will, you know, you know, hold on to my argument that his shoes were a sort of a symbolism of him now being part of this new friend group and not being that nerd anymore. Because that's actually a thing. Like in 2011, that actually makes perfect sense. Was that was when like sneakers really became a massive status symbol for a lot of people. Yeah. So I think I think and that, that is such such an obscure random color you know it's, it really it's, is so for to, to get something that specific is like you know it's not just like blue or red or you know right right puce. i thought that was i just love that jerry recognized funny. it he's like oh puce it looks good on you <laughs> that was really good <laughs> one of the um videos that i watched pointed something out that i didn't think of at first and that is just that not that one movie is necessarily better or worse than the other but the the tone is very different like the 2011 one is a little bit more somber everybody's pretty serious um which is i mean it's kind of natural i suppose to some degree i mean the you know david Tennant character is, is quite funny at certain moments but it's overall the movie is a little bit darker and more serious. And I guess some people might say less corny than the original one, but the original one, like I said, like we said earlier, has that kind of lighter, like, yeah, this is scary and yeah, they're in danger, but it's kind of a, a fun kind of relax, not relaxing, but I don't know. It's, you know, but it's, and, and then like, you know, in the new one, it's much darker and people are like swearing all the time and, you know, it's this. They're ever all the characters have kind of a, a little bit more of a grim mindset toward life, which may just yeah. be indicative of the generation. Or something. No, I, 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 to some extent, agree, but with the with that point. But there's also um, just as a stylistic choice, I kind of enjoyed every time there was like an action sequence or an intense sequence, a thrilling sequence. When it what that wasn't happening, we were watching Charlie really 
start to lose it a little bit. He looks he looks like he was up all night. His room's covered in crosses. So we don't really get a break from the taking the vampire thing seriously moment where we get a break with Peter Vincent. We get a break with, you know, actually talking to Jerry in his own home with Billy there um, and stuff yeah. like that. So I, I agree with you that they didn't do that, but I also think it added to the movie instead of taking away. Mm. And since it was so different. Right. It's just one of those things that makes them different. And I hadn't really noticed it. I hadn't noticed that as a specific thing until I, I uh, this YouTuber pointed it out. And I was like, oh, yeah. So, you know, I'm just looking this up real quick because uh, just thinking about uh, Anton Yelchin, the, there was another movie and I'm just trying to. He died. Him. Yeah. Yeah. I re- referred to him as the late Anton Yelchin. I, I forget I why he that. died. Was it a car accident or? Uh, I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. He played Kyle Reese in uh, Terminator Salvation. I totally missed that one. Because I, I was oh, thinking... Oh, that's of, right. Yeah. Oh. Right, right. Yeah, 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 I forgot yeah. about that. And it was just something... I know you guys were talking about him, and I was like thinking... I was picturing him in my head. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. And I saw him in a Terminator movie in my head, and I was like, oh. Mm. Oh, yeah. So uh, just moving on, of course, the great David Tennant as the great Peter yes. Vincent. The 10th Doctor Who. I mean, he's the favorite of many, many people. Um, I guess he so would awesome. be one of my favorites. Um, he was, of course, uh, in the TV shows Broadchurch, Grace Point, uh, Jessica Jones, and Good Omens. Um, just tons of oh, stuff. Yeah. He's actually done a ton of voiceover work, which I didn't know until I looked him mm-hmm. up. Um, yeah. I've, I've heard his voice in a few things, and I've nailed him. That's awesome. <laughs> Broadchurch yeah. was really good. He, I, he was really good in this. He was very good, but he just wasn't Roddy McDowell-level good. Um, but I did like, like you, you made a good point, Spence, about, um, his character's motivation, which is probably, you know, it's partly why he didn't want to get involved because all of a sudden this horrible thing that happened as a kid is now come back and it's real. Although he did say at one point he killed, didn't he kill a vampire in the past? He only did it once though. I think he did make reference to that at some point or I think he was, I'm not sure. I, I vaguely remember that, that, that exchange. I think he was referring to experiencing an inter uh what's the word a very uh, like an intimate experience with a vampire you know seeing it up close and personal which was when he's his parents were killed right um i think that's kind of what he was referring to because he does make a point of saying the only reason i survived is because i hid oh right 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 that's right I'm like, that's actually a good argument of why you should not fight a vampire. <laughs> but that, but, you know, I, I do agree. Like, that was a good motivation for his character to then become an expert on vampires. And then, of course, he incorporates it into his magic show as an adult. And, you know, that's kind of cool. But he had real fucking holy water in a glass case in his thing. He had real silver bullets. He knew the shit was out there. He just didn't go seeking it out. You know, he wasn't yeah. a quote unquote vampire hunter, per se. I feel like. He, except for the name Peter Vincent, they were two completely different characters. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, like there's almost no like, you know, the other ones like okay, like you can sort of tell that this is a Jerry in one movie is a different version of the other Jerry. You know, they have differences, but okay, yeah, it's the same character, blah blah blah. But with with Peter Vincent, I mean, they just totally revamped him and made him completely different. And it's you, a, oh, go ahead. I, I was gonna say it's a very funny misdirect if you don't know who David Tennant. Is is because they actually don't show his name in the beginning credits mm. i was like i remember watching this movie i'm like i thought david Tennant was in this like i remember being a kid thinking oh yeah david Tennant's in it that's why i was like semi-interested and i'm like oh 
huh, maybe I'm wrong. And then he, I hear him talking in the fi- in the first scene, <laughs> and I'm like, oh yes, it is. <laughs> and then I'm thinking to myself, it's a funny misdirect if you have no idea what David Tennant looks like normally. Yeah, when he pulls the mustache off, pulls the beard off, pulls the hair off, <laughs> and it's, I'm like that. That probably threw some people off. It's funny. I was just thinking about that too. That whole sequence, and even like I'm watching him take the beard off and the wig and everything, and then but he's got the tattoos on his neck, and I'm like, oh well, tattoos must be real. And then he wipes them off, and it's. Just, <laughs> I wonder if that there's a theme there where, um, I don't know how how to verbalize it, but it's it's. It's showing that we all wear these masks that we present to the world, but then when we're relaxed and we're comfortable, we take the mask off. You know, he takes the beard and mustache. Like that's that's just a character he plays, the vampire killer. He's not really the vampire killer, you know. Um, Something I thought was a good point that I just thought of is um, the fact that he actually never claims in the in the remake to be a vampire hunter. He claims to be an expert on vampires, implying he has hunted them, but that Roddy McDowell's character is specifically a vampire slayer. He goes after them, he takes the fight to them, whereas he's more of a vampire scholar in this one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like he knew everything, but he didn't do everything. You know, and that's right. something about the original that I thought of I meant to bring up and I forgot was um uh Peter Vincent in that movie He's down on his luck. He's got fired. He's getting evicted. He can, yeah. can barely pay his bills, you know, and it's it's a real uh, that's another dimension to the character that I liked is that he is struggling, struggling through life. So when this kid comes from out of nowhere and says, you need to help me kill my neighbor. He's like, what the fuck? I got more important fish to fry, you know? <laughs> yeah. And the whole reason he helps them at all in the first place is for the for the five hundred dollar bond that the what's her doodle? Amy. Him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Amy. But then that's probably why they said in the in the uh, I almost said sequel in the remake, they probably thought, well, we need another reason for Peter uh, Vincent to give a shit and to even like want to get involved at all. That's so, a good point. Yeah. You know, he's making good money. So we got to come up with something else. You know? um, so real quick, rounding out the cast here, um, we've got an actress who um, I really love saying her name. It's Imogen Poots. Uh, Poots. Who played Amy Peterson. Poots. <laughs> P-O-O-T-S. Poots. Um, I can't I can't say it any other way. <laughs> she played Amy. Uh, she was in 28 Weeks Later. Um, she was also in the remake of the horror film Black Christmas. And she was in V for Vendetta. I don't know who she played in any of those. And beyond that, I have no idea the stuff she was in. She was in V for Vendetta. Yeah. I'm not huh. sure who she played in that. Um, but then Tony Collette played Jane Brewster. I think, you know, I never oh, used. I think to... she. Would... I, I'm sorry. I, I think um, she was one of the um, one of the lesbian women who was. Um, remember, there was a whole sequence in V for Vendetta when he was talking about the woman that was in prison in the cell next to him, oh, and they were yeah. they were writing back and forth. She was telling the story about how she fell in love with this other woman, and then they eventually they came after them and. Right, right. Okay. I think she was one of those women. That's probably her, yeah. Hmm. Um, so Tony Collette played the mother, Jane Brewster, and you know, I never used to think she was all that attractive. And I thought I think she's gotten better with age. I think she's really cute in this movie. Mm. Um, you know, she was in Muriel's wedding, which is I really like that movie. I, I've watched it a few times. Um, and you may remember her as the mother in the movie Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. She was There's also, a oh, go ahead. I'm just gonna say there's a mini series called Unbelievable, 
um, about a rape, a rapist that was, I think, on Netflix or something a while ago. It was on some channels. Really good. She's in it, and there's an there's another woman who plays a well. I know, but I'm just saying, in spite of the subject matter, it's it's really good because it's their their investigation and these two. She's one of the cops, and there's another cop, a woman cop. They have to work together to solve the case, and um, it's maybe I don't know ten episodes or something, hmm. but um, it's really good, really good. I always thought that show was about a therapist, not the rapist. Huh. Ah. Two different things. Two different things. Two different things. <laughs> <laughs> ah, 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 ah. Uh, she was also in Triple uh, X Three: The Return of Xander Cage, um, oh. like a ton of stuff. So she's a great actress. Yeah. I, I'm going to drop, so I don't know if you guys have heard this term, but this is what's known as a hot take. For any of my uh, Gen Z listeners, a hot take is basically an impromptu opinion that is rather inflammatory and usually related to other subject matter, meaning it's an unpopular opinion most of the time. Okay. Uh, right. I do not think that Amy in the original Fright Night is all that cute at all. No, I, agree. I really just did not did not find her all that attractive. I found Amy in the new one much much more uh attractive yeah yeah it's really really just it and that and that kind of modifies my point but i actually like that that was a plot point that she is really Mm. pretty and she's still dating charlie brewster who she liked him as a geek as a nerd as the kind of person who probably would have hung out with ed so i thought that was an interesting plot point for him that he kind of didn't realize that for a lot of the time yeah, wow. yeah, they, yeah. They have oh, that I whole conversation that cool. where she basically explains why she's with him. He's like, "Why are you even with me?" You know, it's <laughs> like a good like question. <laughs> I ask my wife that every day. <laughs> oh my god! So a couple quick background things. Um, Steven Spielberg apparently provided a great deal of input in the making of this movie, such as storyboarding scenes, and he assisted with some of the editing, which I was surprised to find out. Wow! I don't think his name appears in any of the uh, credits. Um, And I thought it was interesting when I, you know, was watching it this time around at the the beginning, they show you the neighborhood and it's out in the middle of fucking nowhere. I'm like, what the hell kind of neighborhood is this? Is it even attached to a town? And it wasn't until later in the film that you saw, oh, it was like, you know, a few miles from Las Vegas. It was considered part of it, Um, which I thought was kind of a cool sort of a set in that it's isolated. So um, the perfect place for... Jerry Van- Jerry Dandridge, I was calling Jerry Vampridge, Jerry Dandridge <laughs> to, you know, basically one by one pick off everyone and create a nest and you know, yeah, I, I did Although, like that aspect. I did think it's kind of odd that he kills people in his immediate neighborhood instead of like going to Vegas. Like people are flying in and out of Vegas all the time. You know, it's an easy <laughs> place to point. <laughs> kill somebody, get, you know, get some hookers, get some people that are selling drugs or like there's like so many possibilities, you know. Well, David Tennant I, yeah. explained that he was building a nest. So what better place to do it than an isolated neighborhood? Oh, I see. Rather than. Oh, OK, OK. Yeah, I thought that was a good point that that was. I think you've got a real good point there, Mike, but I do like that they had in some of the dialogue explaining the vampires a little bit more. We never really mm. got that in the first one. I really do love 
lore and world building and background stuff and connections in pretty much everything I I watch or make or anything like that. So when they give this little thing of they're a species from the Mediterranean, that sentence alone sent me over the moon because I'm like, that is the coolest thing to like enhance my experience watching this. Mm -hmm. And then they go on like, you know, he's probably replenishing his ranks and stuff like that. And that was actually something I noticed was um, Jerry Dandridge in the original kills a lot of people as in drains them dead, gone, Uh, bodies removed. Right. Jerry Dandridge in the new one, uh, I don't think he actually killed anybody. He's yeah, trying he, to keep he, turned. He, them. Everybody. he, he snacks turned, on he them. Turned. He's, yeah, he eats. <laughs> he does. But he, but he turns them after a certain point. That When Doris died when they ran out in the sun, I was blown away. My jaw hit the floor. Oh, my God. She blew up like a water balloon. That was awful. <laughs> I jumped when that happened. I was like, whoa, what the fuck? Yeah, they probably I did was, that for the 3D, like you said. Mm, definitely. But I still, I thought Jerry killed her. I thought he ran out after them and killed them. And then, I, then I'm, I'm like, I saw all the ash. I'm like, oh my god, she was turning into a vampire. Holy shit! Yeah, <laughs> I'm just get, getting back to the neighborhood thing. I was kind of curious where they had filmed it, and um, I guess they, um, the the principal photography of Charlie, Ed, and Jerry's houses in the neighborhood were in a place called Rio Rancho in New Mexico, which is a suburb northwest of Albuquerque. Um, and the scenes of Peter Vincent on stage were shot at the National Hispanic Cultural Center in Albuquerque, and the scenes involving the Hard Rock Casino, uh, Las Vegas, were actually shot in the now-defunct Hard Rock Casino in Isleta, New Mexico, <laughs> with the <laughs> Las Vegas sets as the backdrop. That's funny. Yeah. Damn, it was filmed in a, in a Hard Rock Casino. Yeah. <laughs> Good use for it, right? Not going to tell me building all over again. Vegas <laughs> Vegas fam- famously doesn't let people film pretty much anywhere in there. It's very difficult to do any filming there. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I was just thinking, I wonder if I wonder how, inter- how different the movie would have been or a sequel would have been if they discovered the vampire after he had been building the nest for like three decades. You know, yeah. like... Then they notice that this somebody notices that there's something weird about him, and then by the time they discover him, it's like holy shit! We don't just have to worry about him, you know? Yeah. One thing I did like about this movie was the tension. I thought it was very tense throughout. I really it it did keep me. Uh, it did hold my attention in that regard. Um, but what, yeah, I couldn't figure out how they fit so many teepees into one story. But you're, you you're too tense. Yeah. <laughs> Both of them. I'm a oh. teepee, I'm a wigwam, I'm a teepee, I'm a wigwam. I'm a wigwam. I mean, she says, you're too tense. <laughs> um, one thing I thought was funny, did you guys notice that, he, you know, because the mother was complaining about the dumpster that Jerry had outside his building. What the hell was he filling it up with? I mean, obviously it must have been bodies or something because he wasn't doing any construction on the outside or the inside of the house. Pop, Pop, when did the, what was, what was the climax of the movie? Where did that take place? I just watched it. They the film day. it in the basement of his house. Oh right, right. He, oh. I don't think he had a basement that big. When you when they go in there, it's all dirt and like destroyed. It's not like a room. Oh, it's, that's true. It's just under the house, and that that was a. I thought that was actually a decent point. Was the mom says what he's not he's not building a pool. So what the hell is he doing? Right, right. Okay. I'm like, hey, yo, why is that's a good point. Why is he removing all of this concrete? Uh-oh. Yeah, because it was like a hole in the wall or something. I don't know. Maybe he was gonna tunnel to Vegas or. Cause like, I'm not sure. There was a giant gap, and that's where the vampires were all hiding in. Unless it was like just, just one big coffin, you know. Uh yeah. I I like that they st- steered away from the coffin stuff. 
Um, I I thought it was fine for the first one. It didn't didn't change anything, but I'm glad it really wasn't in the second one because it gave this feel of like like he could be anywhere and hiding anywhere even during the day. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I, I thought that I thought that was really fun, and I, I remember thinking, I'm like, oh, we never got to see his coffin or anything. But then I was like, ooh, that's kind of crazy. Um, also, he turns people in the original as a tactical choice. He gets Evil Ed because he knows it's now somebody to fight on his side and who will take an, take an opponent off the playing field and somebody who will attack uh, the friends and Peter individually and stuff like that. In this movie, that doesn't happen. He just turns everybody at a certain point. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. I thought that was I thought that was an interesting moment when I'm like, oh yeah. So he sent Ed after um, what's his face didn't just like leave him in the in the basement to hide and rest because uh, I don't know if you remember the um that the, one of the best friends there. God, what is his name? I have it written down. Um, one of the best friends. Let me just take a look at the cast here. Uh, it was. Mm, uh mark he was like kind of the jock looking one. Oh yeah yeah um he was played by dave franco who was the uh younger brother of james franco oh i didn't know that yeah i found that out on the amazon trivia thing i thought that was pretty neat um and at at a certain point near the end uh, he gets attacked by jerry at one point but he shows up at the end he's in the basement ready to go toe to toe so i was thinking i'm like well it makes perfect sense that jerry sent ed instead of mark after uh right it, it, it's a lot easier to kill your like your like new friend that you know superficially who's now trying to kill you versus your old childhood friend. Right. And that was a scary scene when the two guys are sitting in the car sort of looking at Charlie's house and then all of a sudden Jerry shows up and yanks him out. <laughs> like, that was that was good. That was scary. One actor I forgot to look up too was um, uh, Emily Montague. She played Doris because I remember just thinking that Doris was freaking hot in this. And mm-hmm. when I looked her up, I didn't realize uh, you guys wouldn't know, but she played a character called Abby Devereaux on Days of Our Lives, who just recently got killed off on the show. She'll probably be back soon. But um, <laughs> so, yeah, they, they literally on that show, there's a mad scientist who brings people back to life all the time. Oh, my That's God. Very funny. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she was also on um, uh, it was Boston Legal, I think. Yeah, it's the one with um, William Shatner. Uh, she just did a lot of stuff. I kind of forgot um, about her, but I just remember thinking, "Oh, she was really hot," and then I I forgot to look her up. But uh, there was something. Where was it? I wanted to mention. Oh yeah, when when uh, Charlie's in Jerry's house and he finds the secret room with all the secret the other rooms, you know, where he's keeping people prisoner snacking on them whatever when he peeks through the peephole and doris slaps her hand against it that scared the shit out of me i jumped out of my chair (laughs) (laughs) so i thought that was effective there are a lot of good moments in this i i'm I'm not shitting on the movie i i I just don't i don't know i I, like i said i just feel like we've already got the original we didn't need to have it's it's hard imagining yeah i mean i don't really mind a reimagining if they go in a different direction and they're not trying to like it's just a, a a different interpretation of the similar idea right um i don't mind that in, in in some cases it's just i'm so attached to the original that it it distorts my ability to be objective about the new one right. to some degree and you know that's the thing like like for example no pun intended the, the john carpenter's the thing is not a remake of the thing from another world 
it's right. it's a it's a retelling of the source material, which was a short story. Who goes there? So that I totally can forgive it. Plus, it's a fucking awesome movie. But they're both good: the original and the Carpenter's version. The thing from Another World was surprisingly good. Yeah, I remember watching. Yeah, it. That was good. oh yeah, it's so awesome. And um, but like like a movie like this, and I'm not saying this specifically, but when the original is just the original and it's not based on any of the source material, I, I always give it a, a much harder time than I would if, oh, well, but they're both based on the same book, but the, one told it one way and one told it the other way. It, you know what I mean? Am I making sense here? Yeah, I see your point. I personally think this movie has a much better uh, and much more cohesive plot going forward not in the sense of events but in the sense of characters and their relationships because it's a lot more impactful like i said when we get to see that the friends of charlie brewster being turned you know his neighbor that he kind of has this like small little crush on uh you know she ends up dying entirely he has to kill his best friend versus peter vincent doing it mm. and i i really liked that i thought that was a much more well-executed movie use of characters than um than what the original was doing. Not to say anything bad about the original, but I think in turn, the kills in this movie were far less like exciting until the very end. Whereas yeah. in the original, they're a lot more graphic and drawn out, and I really enjoyed that. And there was I one... Guess... Oh, go ahead, Mike. No, go ahead. go ahead. Well, I was going to say, there was one scene that I really loved was when uh, Jerry's got uh, Doris, and he's carrying her out of the room, and she looks over, and I think he's, he might have been biting her while he was carrying her. I can't he remember. Was... Was he? He was. I he, when she like looks at him and like puts yeah, her she puts her, her finger lips. up to her lips to tell Charlie to be quiet. I love that moment because she's she knows she's gone a goner, but she's going to try and save his life by telling him to be quiet. I just love that moment. Yeah, I definitely thought that that was a really nice way to kind of connect us to this story. Um, also, um, as a plot point. I much prefer this Charlie Brewster to the original because he is much more self-sufficient. They were very much clear of the, let's go to the cops, let's go to the cops in the first one. And, like, they knew that was a terrible idea. Yeah. Whereas in this one, Charlie <laughs> Brewster, like, he's like, he's just going to go to the hunting store, buy all this fire-retardant gear, buy all of these all of these things to hunt vampires. And he's just like, I'm going to go hunt a vampire. <laughs> just to the to the clerk and the clerk's like yeah right whatever uh i thought that was really enjoyable this was a much more self-sufficient charlie brewster not to mention the mom was a lot more involved in this plot that fire retardant suit that whole thing at the end where he lights himself on fire yeah. and then gives you know gives jerry like a bear hug and won't let go of him i'm like that was fucking awesome he he like he hooked himself to jerry or he put a yeah. cable around him and hooked it to himself so he jerry oh did he oh okay. yeah Jerry definitely could not. Get, what a get away great from idea! Light myself on fire and tackle the bag. Like that was so cool. Mm. I didn't notice he was wearing fire retardant gear, but I really enjoy when David Tennant's like, uh, "Yeah, a vampire on fire isn't thinking clearly." And then he's like, "Well, how do I stake him if he's if if he's on fire?" And then I'm just like, "I love that you." They didn't have to go so hard of like him explaining the plan either before or after. It was just a matter of. By the way, this was your plan. He's like, what? Right, yeah. right. <laughs> Light me. <laughs> okay. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. I have two things I, I want to say before I forget them. I've been like holding them no, <laughs> inside. Um, the first one is really brief. It's just, uh, I think personally, I have a bias. Um, I think one of the things that I don't find that exciting about vampires is that they can turn people into vampires. Like, I much prefer a monster movie where 
if the monster gets you, he kills you. And like that to me, that's, it's just my own thing. So I think that's another reason why I prefer a movie where people just die left and right rather than not left and right, but rather than, you know, people being turned. And I mean, it's more interesting for them to be turned and to see how they struggle with that. But I don't know for me, I'm kind of on the fence with vampires anyway. There's things about vampires I really like, and there's other stuff that just turns me off. But um, the other thing I was going to say is uh, going back to Raj, what you were saying about uh, different versions of source material and stuff. So here's a question, Raj. Sure. We, we know that the 2011 movie is based on the 1985 movie, right? right? If let's say there had been the Fright Night story was written like as a book, prior to 1980 and then in 85 they did one version of it and then in 2011 they did another version of it so that the second movie is not a remake of the movie but a different take on the book like does, would that change your perspective at all yeah probably in terms of the source yeah it would all depend you know it's like one of those things where um uh how do i describe this so like, all right. Um, what's that movie? No, not the um, not the Charles Band Puppet Master movies where the little dolls kill people, but the movie Puppet Masters with Donald Sutherland, yeah. Where um, those aliens attach themselves to your spine, yeah, and control you. In I read the book to that, and in the book, um, the it attaches itself to the main character, and the good guys manage to remove it. But then they realize they need and when, when it attaches to the human, there's a symbiotic relationship and they kind of share a mind. So the good guys remove it from him. And then after a while, uh, they realize, shit, we need to find out what's going on. We need information on these aliens. And so in the book, it's this the character has to make this tough decision to let them put it back on him. And it's it's really a major point in the book where he's got to he doesn't want to do it because it's, it yeah. fucked with him so bad, but, and then ultimately he agrees to do it and you know, it ends up working out. But in the movie, the same thing happened, except they were like, Oh, we got to put this back on you so that we can find out what the aliens are doing. He's like, okay. And then they do it again. <laughs> it was just like, he totally undermined that scene. So for me, yeah. if, if, if Fright Night was a book and the first one took a lot of great points and made it into a movie, but didn't, do it all the way and then the remake took other great points as well as some of the ones from the, the original movie i probably would have a different opinion of it it would all depend on on the source material as well whether or not yeah. like you you could say the original well there's a huge plot point in the novel that never happened that impacted the whole story they fucking ignored it in the yeah. 1985 version you know um i would say I, I agree with your point there that the source material <laughs> does make a difference, but something else. Um, I'm, eat, I'm eating. Do you mind? I'm eating. Do you mind? No. Yes, I do mind. Stop Swallow. it. Swallow. <laughs> it's on my list. Uh, on my but list. What, I, what I was going to say was, yes, I think your point, uh, and, that's a, and that's a good question, Michael. Uh, like you know it's I, I do think that impacts a lot of people's perceptions of things like if somebody remade jaws yeah. everyone would we'd be up in arms right yeah. except oh, yeah. for the fact that jaws is based on a book right right <laughs> right right so so there's that um so I, I think i think that there's a point there um something else different about this movie is they really lean into certain vampire lore they lean away from the shape-shifting but they lean heavily into the needing to be invited 
Mm. Yeah, that was a big yeah. deal. Like literally, literally, the acting of um, was it Colin Farrell? Yeah. Uh, was really good. His physical acting, I thought, was fantastic because he's like getting close to the doorway and then he kind of like repulses away a little bit, very subtly, and all that stuff. And he's just kind of standing there in the doorway, like, "Hey, come on, do you need any help with that? Come on, invite me in." And we're all like, kind of on the edge of our seat, like knowing that now, now there's this game of cat and mouse going on. And I really enjoyed that a little bit more than. Just, oh, he has to be invited in by the owner of the house. Oh, anyways, we're going to diffuse that whole plot point really yeah. quickly. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's so true, because in a lot of movies, we we learn that they need to be invited, but then it's, it's yeah, it's just thrown by the wayside because somebody accidentally invites them in. But in this case, the barrier was maintained for a while. Yeah. And I and like that he, he actually comes up with a very good solution. He's like... You can't invite me in if the house is destroyed, or you can't. You don't know, like this. Doesn't work if the house is abandoned. Again, when he was hunting down yeah, Ed, yeah. I thought that was a really, really neat little point that didn't need to be said. They didn't really need to add that. They could have just had him, just have them running and be like, "Oh, well, I thought he had you know us in the audience being all confused." But they chose to at least have a couple of lines that establish what he's doing and allow us to keep the rules of the universe in play which to me once again i keep saying is is my favorite part about most movies is when the rules of the universe are hyper consistent right mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. yeah yeah i love that that's true that's true there was one scene that was super disgustingly gross and i loved it was when jerry gets <laughs> run over and his arm is all busted up and you watch it heal back <laughs> I thought that was a fantastic one. Also, when the mom takes the um the 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 for real sign the realty signs yeah uh, and stakes him with it, I'm like, thank you. That's a pay that's a setup and a payoff that we all wanted to see because she's loading them up in the in the beginning. Right. right? She's like standing right. next to Jerry, like, oh, help me load up these signs, ha ha ha. And they're still in the car. And then at the end, he's about to you know bite somebody or something, and then bam, right in the back. Yeah. And he, he does the, but it has the same effect as the pencil. It does the same thing. He yeah. goes into this, like his, his physical acting was fantastic. I don't know if that was him as Colin Farrell or a stunt double, but that was disgusting because he was writhing in pain and he did not look human anymore at all. Yeah. Yeah. Him true. in the background, it was like, is like screaming in pain. I'm like, that was fan That's fantastic. That's so good. It's so disgusting and terrifying. But then the characters <laughs> take the, they take the chance. Let's get the fuck out of here. There's no, there's no, there's no it's not a shitty horror movie. Right. Right. <laughs> I like that. I think part of it is they're so used to being impervious to things that when suddenly when one of these dumb humans actually hurts them, they, they're like shocked and physically hurt simultaneously <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah that's true um so uh, on a slightly different note i thought um so i didn't want to forget to say this but i just thought that peter vincent and that chick i don't know if it was his assistant or his wife or his girlfriend or what i loved their relationship they were so friggin' funny because all they did was swear at each other <laughs> i thought yeah i thought that was pretty good and another like another way for us to actually counter endear us to the character of like, this guy's a douchebag. We really don't like him. We're only, we're only here for his expertise. And then there's more to him. Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was actually a really interesting way to address a character. I thought that was fun. He'd be like, you know, can you get me a coffee? Get it yourself. You know? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> he called her a cow at one point. Yeah. I that was rough. <laughs> yeah. Stupid cow. <laughs> cow. Oh my God! I just like died laughing. You know, that's the, the, the small amount of levity in the film, Mike. As you said before, it was you know very dark and bleak through the whole thing. But those few moments were freaking la laugh yeah. out loud, hilarious. I, I could listen to David Tennant read the phone book. Yeah, 
he's, no kidding. He's, like everything that comes out of his mouth is like either intense or hilarious. Right. His his acting, the the looks on his face were really fantastic, and he yeah. really sold the like pompous star and then somebody mentions vampires and he's like yeah yeah whatever i have proof yeah yeah whatever looks at the proof oh shit yeah <laughs> it's, it's real it's fucking real god damn it not again that was a cool moment because he sees the picture that charlie took of um of jerry's from jerry's house and he opens up his safe and he's got the exact same drawing as what was the item in jerry's house i forget mm. what he said it was i what that also to me adds to the world building because it's once again a different jerry and he even says like you know you're you know you think you're going to walk in here with a crossbow and undermine 400 years of survival you know very funny and i'm like oh that's such an interesting like just little tidbit of information that we can now collect about jerry i'm like that's so cool yeah we don't, yeah. We don't need to know anything else why did he move there this that to me is actually the clue and also the the ranks thing of like did his last nest get like um compromised did somebody hunt down his last nest and kill everyone but him? Oh, maybe. Why, yeah. why did he move here? He didn't have any ranks, right? Yeah. He's 400 years. He got nothing better to do than turn people. Why move to this town suddenly? It just kind of like gives this the, gives this vibe of like there is way more than just this one-off vampire that we found. Also, not to mention, he just mentions werewolves casually when she shoots the silver bullets at him. Yeah. That to me alone is so much better than than when fucking. Oh, it actually pisses me off at the end of the first Fright Night when he sees the red eyes. Fucking Charlie sees the red eyes. He's like, nah, I'm sure it's nothing. <laughs> As if one vampire, it like doesn't doesn't mean that there's a whole world of supernatural monsters out there. No, we got the one vampire. There's no more. Don't worry. Right, right. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, uh, uh. So I really enjoyed that aspect that they that it really kind of clued Charlie in, and Charlie wasn't stupid. Right. I loved that. Charlie yeah. wasn't lame. He wasn't boring. Right. <laughs> well, there was one moment, and I didn't put it in my notes here, but um, uh, when David Tennant was kind of explaining to him that basically the vampire, his goal essentially was to just turn everybody into vampires, which I remember thinking, uh, well, I remember, I just watched it the other day, but I was thinking, that's kind of stupid, because if everybody in the world is a vampire, you have no fucking food supply. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think there was also a level of David Tennant really didn't know everything. Yeah, it could be. They're, they're they're very clear about that that he knows some things and like they're replenishing your ranks no matter how you slice it up. Vampires need a, need numbers to survive. They're it's very very interesting because he's like four hundred years of survival, ha ha ha. Yet he, yet in both movies he hides from the from like when they have weapons <laughs> right, <laughs> or calls right. in reinforcements as he did in the original and in the second one. I'm like. Hmm. Hmm. Very big talk for somebody who very much loves to hide behind the fact that they have other people to do their dirty work. Right. <laughs> That's one of the strategies, I guess. Not that he's immune to everything, but that he he knows when to fight and when to flee and when to hide. Yeah, I. it, it just adds more to the character, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, also, when it comes to the characters comparing them... Uh, just to jump to the effects a little bit, Jerry's face in the remake is so much more scary to me than in the first one. What? So much scary. Once again, it does the Rictus grin. Really? It goes like his his smile, his jaw, it like, goes up to his his ears, and there's like no no cheeks. That to me is 
personally much more terrifying than just seeing some guy with a bunch of tusks hanging out of his mouth. But also, I thought it was really scary when, yeah. per, per, personally, I thought it was really, I thought it was really scary when you would see this blue vein of like stuff just go through him, and then like at, at the end when he's like kind of semi-shirtless, you can actually see the veins of the like, blue, I guess blue blood going through him, and whenever he would vamp, he would like you know vamp out to some extent, you would see these these blue veins coursing through him very vividly. I loved that imagery. Right, right. I thought, that, I thought that was very, very fun to to watch, and you could actually tell when he was like trying to be a person and trying not to be a person. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I keep thinking of the way his face looked at the very end when he when he uh, got killed, um, which is like a d- triple whammy. He's on fire. He's getting burned, and he has a stake through his heart. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And his chest cavity is like wide open. <laughs> I know they did it for the three D effect now, but I didn't realize that before. But yeah, his face at the end, it just looks like a it looks like a no. mask that somebody put some extra airbrushing onto or something. I'm I'm not I, that's a good point. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about him like in the like the half the first half of the movie or stuff like that, before the final fight, when you see his face, just his face transform oh. and you see his claws, that to me is so much worse. Oh because okay. it's the same vibe as the um when uh uh Amy got um turned in the in the original in right, that same right. that same look of the mouth that to me is just so much freakier especially because the teeth look a lot more shark-like yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, thought that was, I thought that was terrifying i'm like oh i don't want like I, it's like looking at a train wreck i'm like i can't take my eyes away but this is terrifying right oh my god so the scene where, where uh ed and charlie are fighting um this is the one i was i was talking about earlier spence and um you know basically Ed is down to one hit point and he's constantly making his saving throws until Charlie finally hits a crit and stakes him through the heart. That's how I saw that scene. <laughs> Cause he chopped no. his arm off. He chopped him in the neck. I mean, he was down to one hit point making his saving throws. <laughs> I, yeah, I see. I see that. It's a funny point. Um, <laughs> I, I like, I liked it. I thought the fight was really enjoyable and it was a really fun showcase to like watch a fledgling vampire fight because he was a freshly turned and he was just that agile. Yeah. So then the final fight when like what um when Charlie has to like tackle him on fire like and he's being thrown around the room. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, that was really good. And you know um what's his name Anton Yelchin had a really nice piece of acting when he's sitting by the mom's bedside. And you see the sun coming up and you just can see like without him ever saying anything, he's got to steal himself for what he's going to about to do, you know, because now the sun's up. He can go and he's got to go stop Jerry and he just sort of, you know, girds his loins and gets ready to do it, <laughs> except for the fact that he goes to the gun store. But I'm sorry, the gun store wouldn't be open right at sunrise. He probably had to wait till like 10 in the morning to go there. So. <laughs> It should be like a scene of him drinking coffee across the street, looking over, looking at his watch, drumming his fingers. <laughs> ah, come on. <laughs> now, there was a moment towards the end. And I had, like I said, I'd forgotten. I think my brain just kind of pushed this movie out of my head. So I didn't remember anything from it. Um, I was like, I'm watching the film the other day and I'm like, fuck. I'm like, David Tennant just pussied out. I'm like, yeah, I think I remember that he never showed back up again. What, uh, that's, a, that's a lame. 
for his character. And then he showed up, and I was like, yay! <laughs> <laughs> they did the line um, again, which we didn't really talk about in the first one, but, you know, welcome to Fright Night, for real. Yeah. Um, I think... But even in the first one, Peter Vincent kind of pusses out, and he's like, he's like, can't, I can't, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And Charlie goes off by himself, and then then Peter shows up. I, th- I did find it really funny that Peter showed up inside of the vampire's house. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> but once again, a good point is they didn't have to go through the whole the um like in the in the original, there's the whole thing of oh, we, the sun's up, we can hit the windows like Peter uh, P- Peter um uh, Charlie's immediate immediate reaction is we're going to open the windows now we're going to give ourselves some cover here we're going to even the playing field for ourselves even if it's just up here on this base level because he goes in with a flashlight but then he's got the sunlight coming in because he's busting the windows yeah. as he's going i'm like thank you that's such a good point yeah I th- i'm like that's what i would do right wouldn't we all right um, absolutely i also just found this uh, uh well a couple of things where i like that they didn't lean into the religion as hard but they did have it where when um Charlie has the cross and fucking um, Colin Farrell's Jerry just grabs it and his hands on fire. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, that's, that's terrifying. <laughs> I thought that was really fun. I thought that was sick. Uh, also general trivia. Um, Chris Sarandon uh, actually plays the guy who like found them when they were like sitting on the highway and got oh, out yes. of his car and then get that. That was him. I, I meant to mention that. that. I forgot. Now. Really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. The guy that rear ends them and then Jerry kills him. Uh that's so funny. I, I gotta I gotta now I really need to go and watch this the, the, the remake all the way through. <laughs> like I saw bits of it to prepare for today, but I just didn't have time to watch both. I I like it. I think it's really good. I think comparing it to the original isn't really all that fair because they're not similar enough, especially with the main character being so vastly different. Mm. And the it's, subject material. Horror hosts wouldn't make wouldn't relate to people like a magician a big time magician yeah that's gonna go yeah that's true that's true i mean i i as much as i don't care for colin farrell as an actor i thought he was effective in this I thought he did a good job and he he was very scary in this movie he had the right look but yeah i feel like they could have gotten somebody uh whatever yeah i, yeah. I mean i can see why they can i can understand why they cast him actually yeah, I thought he did a fine job for the for what they were going for. Also, yeah. uh, when they're going down the highway in um, Chris Arendon's now now deceased uh, character's car, um, remember when they hit the minivan and they crushed Jerry? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm like I'm like thank you, fucking yes, it's great. And I, I thought the the game of cat and mouse was a lot more uh, obvious in this movie and a lot more. Lot more there because they fight up they fight him off quite consistently. Oh like yeah. A few times in this movie where he comes after them in some way, shape, or form and like they actually beat him and escape. Yeah. Yeah, it was interesting how they were able to do that. They... I, I liked it. I thought it was more I thought it was more exciting a little bit, but I also understand that that's what this movie was going for is a few more serious action sequences with serious you know, calmer spots. I, I did like when he was under the minivan and he was starting to rip his way up through the floorboards. That was kind of oh, cool. that was rough. That was terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> I thought it's he was. Funny, just... I... Oh, sorry. oh go ahead, go ahead. Well, go ahead. did did he pull the brake line? Because I thought he was going to pull the brake line and they were going to go flying through the windshield or something. I don't think he did. I think he just punched his hand through and tried to start grabbing them. He pressed the brake with his hand. That's what it was. The, oh, 
That's Damn, <laughs> I even I don't even remember that. That's crazy. Yeah, which which I because I remember thinking, well, once he lets go, the car is going to start going forward again. <laughs> <laughs> but what were you um, going to say, Michael? I was thinking I, I would you know even though I don't know I, I guess I'm not really necessarily criticizing the remake when I say that it was darker, um, just that it had a it wasn't as much fun in the same way, but by the same token, I can, I can imagine myself if I were in the position, you know, hypothetically where I, they wanted me to do a remake of a movie, you know, like an eighties movie that was horror, but also had like some humor and whatever in it. I would probably, my very first thought would be, okay, we're going to make it fucking dark and scary and nasty. Like that, yeah. that would be my first response. So <laughs> I can't really blame this director for doing that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it adds to it. Um, I like also that we got a decent explanation of where the mom went. Like she had a she had a head injury. They took her to the hospital. Uh, I thought that was really enjoyable. He, he like filled just, the room up with crucifixes. Oh, she's very religious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was very, very perfect. I thought that worked out really well. My thing is, where the fuck in the original Fright Night did he get all those fucking candles? The candles? Oh, you remember, um, you remember going... If you remember when you walk into his room yeah. in the original, he has like a thousand candles in yeah, his bedroom. fucking room, yeah. all lit. I'm like, what the fuck is that going to do? <laughs> yeah, I know. Exactly. Not that, that funny. That That's... doesn't really protect you or anything. It was just like to show that he was going a little loopy, I guess. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, so yeah. like whittling I never thought about and... that. <laughs> all right. So. Uh, Spency, final thoughts on the 2011 remake of Fright Night. Um, I thought it was a very, very good horror movie for what it was trying to do, and I really, really loved uh, a lot of the characters and the relationships and how the movie fit together, also the world building. The effects, they age a little a little poorly, um, but overall, I think the quality of the movie shines through, and it's, it makes it a really, really fun vampire movie to watch. Excellent. Michael? Um, again, I have a bias uh, based on my love for Chris Sarandon as an actor and my inherent bias towards anything that was made in the 80s. Um, but I do remember, I do remember really, I do remember enjoying the remake and thinking it wasn't too bad. And David Tennant's presence in it really just made, made it great uh, for me. And I thought Charlie was good in this one. Um, you know, I, I, I wanted him to succeed. I, I saw him as very sympathetic, like like in the first one. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'll always favor the the original, but this one was, was pretty, pretty good. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I you know, something I, I meant to bring up earlier, I felt like the original was kind of classy and this was more gritty. And what I mean by that is a lot of um, influences in the original film, like I mentioned before, were from the Hammer films, from the old Dracula movies. Um, there was there was a lot of nods to the old school horror, and this was just horror with nods to the original film. You know, it wasn't it wasn't quite as classy. Like I liked the location in the originals. I liked Jerry's house. I thought that was cool and creepy, and the um, they didn't have those kind of things. I liked Peter Vincent's apartment because, it, I mean, it was in that respect, it was a reflection of his character. He was 
a former actor down on his luck and all he could afford was this tiny little apartment whereas Peter Vincent here is obviously wealthy from playing these Vegas shows night after night after night so you know that you can't really help but there was just something uh, maybe about and don't get me wrong obviously I fucking swear in the show all the time but there was something about the the use of language and uh, the vulgarness in the remake which I don't have a problem with that but I think it it cheapens the film in terms of the original it's not as classy like in the first one you saw a couple of boobs and that was pretty much it <laughs> you know and then some gore but gore is gore um so mm. yeah i feel like this one could have been a classier film um but it was a decent monster movie don't get me wrong i think um you know i i think if anyone wants to watch a decent monster movie they should they should watch the original first and then watch this one. Uh, like I said before, too, I felt like the filmmakers didn't quite have the passion for the original that they could have. Um, it was there. It, it, I just felt like they were just making a movie and trying to hit beats from the original film. Uh, wasn't quite as charming as the original. But like you you guys said, you know, David Tennant was awesome in this. Um, he wasn't as good as Roddy McDowell. Um, but, you know, he, the way I kind of liken it, he was successful and pompous. Whereas Roddy McDowell was this horrible actor who was in bad movies. He could barely pay his bills, you know, getting fired, getting evicted. Um, so they're two completely different characters. I think, Michael, you said that earlier. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I think if you're going to watch this, watch the original first and um, then then watch this one. I think you'll appreciate them both in tandem. Um, I Like I said before, I don't know if I'll ever revisit it unless we're doing like a drunken MST3K kind of thing. Pop, I do. I truly implore you to rewatch this movie and try and pay attention to some of the details because I think some of the shots in this movie are really, really good. Especially uh, something we never mentioned was there's a whole point where a security guard is stopping Jerry, and then what ends up happening is we um uh, we see this computer screen where Jerry's not even on the screen and yes. he kills the guard. That's I right. thought a shot like that had a lot of thought to it, so I wouldn't quite agree that it's a it's a thoughtless movie in that sense that it doesn't have the same uh same care to it because i truly think it does so i do implore anybody watching this to try and view the the differences uh as just that differences and then see the details as right. as, as, as as rampant as they are there's a lot of really good details in this movie that i enjoy yeah yeah you know i, I, actually I like the word charming that Roger used the word charming for the original one. I think that's a good word to describe the first one. And the second one is just has a different vibe. That's all. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I don't find the first one charming with how the, how, how disgustingly gory it is. I would not <laughs> use the word. But that's only at like two points in the movie. Maybe three. Right. Points where it gets really like, blah, you know. I was just I was just saying, I don't get why you keep calling the original movie charming. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't quite see it with all the gore and all the the actual oh, like yeah. moments. I, I feel like it. I don't know. What... <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, that's that's my point is I like uh, the new one a little bit more, but they're different enough. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. OK, well, guys, thank you so much for joining me today and uh, look forward to talking to you guys again as soon on the show. Yeah. Thank you. It was awesome. Okay, folks, that's all the time we have for today's episode. Thank you for joining us for our special 2022 13 Days of Hallow Tober event. 
in which we're discussing vampire films this year. I just want to briefly remind you that we've got a live streaming monthly series called The Fright Lounge in which we discuss all horror media for seasoned horror fans, as well as those of you who don't know if you want to get into horror. We've also got a new podcast called The Cult Movie Lounge in which award-winning blogger Robert Manell and I discuss all cult movies all the time. And here's, of course, our sister show, The East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and spaghetti western movies, all of which can be found at our website, Haven Podcasts, that's plural, havenpodcasts.com. And while you're at our website, be sure to click on our Patreon link and TeePublic link to help support the show. We've also got a YouTube page, so please go to youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1 and subscribe to it. And don't forget to hit that little bell so you get notifications when we put out new episodes. And of course, we want your feedback, so please email us at thenisnow42 at gmail.com. And you can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group as well. Then Is Now podcast is part of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so please check out the other great shows there at thedorkeningpodcastnetwork.com. That's right, folks. And all of those links, like I said, they're on our website as well as in our show notes of every episode. And we are on all the podcasting apps. So if you like our show, please go to wherever you download your podcast from and leave us a great review because that bumps us up the list in the algorithm and helps more people to find us. Thank you for joining us today. Class dismissed. This now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media. shows like the one you just heard check out the dorkening podcast network at the dorkening.com also then is now podcast of course is a proud member of the dorkening podcast network so please be sure to check out the other great though <laughs> <laughs> so please be sure to check out the other great shows there at the dorkening podcast network.com